Business and Buckets, we are live. Episode 58 coming at you. Obviously, we have the NFL. We have bowl games announced, FCS football, UFC 269 this weekend. I'll be there in Vegas. Oh, boy, what a card. Can't wait. Best friend, Field Supplements will be there. Josh Morin and crew. Speaking of Field Supplements, though, I know it's only December, but summertime's going to be here before you know it. New Year's resolutions are here as well. Get your summertime shine and New Year's goals hit with Field Supplements Advanced Thermogenic and Feel Good Formula Showtime. Showtime contains the only clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. So for optimal results, check out Showtime and uh, go to fueledsupplements.com to use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Promotion code BUCKETS, B-U. C-K-E-T-S. I know for me, I'm buying supplements, uh, using the, the, the smaller local businesses, um, you know, friends' businesses, the best way to support a friend, support their business. And instead of going to GNC, racking up these big bills, these corporate chains, help small business out, baby. That's It's people helping people. That's the way it's done. So speaking of, before we're going to talk sports, I wanted to start the show with this Instagram post that just hit home as a lot of us are in the work from home world. I know I'm working from home. I'm working from home. I'm staring at screens. I'm staring at my phone, right? I got the podcast. I'm staring at screens. I'm watching TV. It's just fucking crazy. And uh, it was a really good post. This is by Brandon. He is a fitness, personal fitness trainer for Sean O'Malley, the sugar show down in Arizona. He helps with a bunch of other athletes, uh, Bryce Meredith, another one. Uh, But he said, it's so much easier to sit back and distract ourselves, to watch TV, scroll your phone, or anything else that robs us from connecting with ourselves and the ones we love. So why even bother with reflecting and doing work to grow? Because we are human beings, and if you don't, you will probably find yourself unsatisfied at some later time. You can't suppress and distract forever, or maybe you can, but you will not be happy. No one wants to just get by. A problem I see in the modern world is set up to distract us, to rob us of our connections, of our sensory experience. Give yourself the time to slow down, the space to recover, uh, discover yourself and connect, to feel and grow. Breath work, training, journaling, hot and cold exposure, nature, walking, wildlife. From my experience, it doesn't take a lot. It's more about consistency. And I thought that was so well said. I find myself with these ebbs and flows of business, you know, health, energy, and a lot of it being in Seattle is it's so damn dark outside. I'm staring at these damn screens all day on high brightness. You know, it, it's, it gets to our energy. You have um, blue light glasses now. I use those during the day when, it, when it's dark out. But getting outside, connecting with nature, no matter how shitty it is outside here, it's pissing rain half the time and gray in the winter, right? Going for walks, going outside, being one with nature, I live right on the beach, doing these things and to his point in, in a consistent manner makes a difference. And that's why I always talk about routine on the business episodes with the entrepreneurs and business owners, just talking about their routines, trying to take from that. Uh, because once you're in a good routine, you stick with that consistent, consistent actions equal consistent results. Just wanted to bring that up. I thought it hit home, you know, 
You guys are either listening to me on the airwaves or watching my video on YouTube. And I think uh, it's just a good, good little you know reminder there for us. But let's <clears throat> talk NFL. Holy shit, things are getting interesting. Uh, some headlines around the league. Tyrod Taylor is week to week again uh, with a wrist injury. Obviously, the Texans aren't a contender. The Texans are all going to be you know determining their future success based on what happens with Deshaun Watson. What can they get for him? Does he play? Um, Tyrod, you know, definitely helps their team this year. Um, but Davis Mills expecting to start, you know, I wouldn't expect much from that squad moving forward. Uh, Kenyon Drake out of the, out for the year with a broken ankle for the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. This is more of a concern as Josh Jacobs is always, you know, some dealing with some sort of injury. It seems like just with the physicality and the nature that he runs with. Um, so Kenyon Drake, a, a high level running back, a guy who started for teams and done well, uh, has done well in this role, a receiving back with Vegas, and um, they're not going to have that. Jalen Rashard's still there. He's on COVID protocols now, but you know every game is pretty much a must win in the AFC if you are in the picture, which the Raiders very much are. So tough loss for the Raiders. It's definitely going to impact their team. I'm not sure how positive news this is for the Washington football team, but Logan Thomas avoids an ACL tear. Uh, but might still be out for the year with with the injuries sustained. I haven't seen any reports today to tell me otherwise than that. Um, so I would assume he's out for the year, which is tough because he's been out. He fought his way back. Now he has another injury and, and he's hurt again. And you know Washington's lost guys like Chase Young, um, obviously Fitzpatrick. They're still battling. They're still proving people wrong. Um, but he's a huge piece of that offense. He's a big body tight end. Uh, a guy to go down on uh, that you can go to on third down in the red zone. He could body somebody. Uh, so tough loss for the Washington football team. They need all the pieces they can get. Just losing McKissick recently. All right, Gibson's always battling an injury. So tough, tough loss for them. Even a bigger loss, you know, a team that's probably the most ravaged with injuries this year. The Baltimore Ravens stud corner, lockdown corner, Marlon Humphrey out for the year with a torn peck. I've already talked about me not thinking too highly of them, them collapsing the second half of the, you know, these, these, the rest of these few games going out, you know, my Steelers barely won, but we got that dub. We're eating that dub Jameis Winston style, however it takes drop balls and all. Um, but yeah, I mean the Ravens, you know, their running back issues, their defensive issues, um, their defense hasn't been quite up to snuff as a typical Baltimore defense. And a lot of that's due to injuries. So you lose a guy that can control half the, you know, quarter of the field, half the field. Um, there, there's going to be consequences. Uh, a guy that was in the league for a while that I always wanted the Steelers to draft and saw him have a successful career in Tennessee afterwards Ken, uh, and, and in New Orleans. Kenny Vaccaro is retiring and he is launching an esports group called G1 Gamers First. G1 stands for Gamers First. Uh, pretty cool thing. I love seeing. You know, that's what my business at Buckets is all about. I will have more and more um, sports, you know, athletes, entrepreneur hybrids, uh, because I think if you are a professional athlete or a high-level athlete, you are running your own business within this umbrella. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs that will get on the show will be like that. Um, but I love seeing them having a plan after sports. I think everyone should have to have a plan. I think if you're going to college, you are an athlete. You should be having courses that are setting you up post sports, post 
you know, college, professional, whatever that is. So good to see him doing that. Esports is blowing up. Really cool deal. So Adrian Peterson was signed to the Seahawks practice squad. Wasn't expected to play. You know, he had played with Detroit or played with Houston and then um, somehow gets activated for the game, scores a touchdown game one, add into the books, add into that record board. I love to see it. You know, that backfield with Alex Collins battling injuries. Um, you also have, um, I'm blanking on the Chris Carson out for the year. They could use some help. Uh, would love to see any opportunity this man gets. You know, the Seahawks are with the win over the Niners kind of fighting for playoffs. I don't expect them to make it, uh, but good press to see Peterson out there. Uh, Trey Sermon to the IR for the Niners. He had, you know, fallen down the depth chart, so I don't think that's too big of a deal. But a guy that they spent draft capital on and, you know, think highly of in their future is going to the IR and is uh, um, out for the year. You know, official reports, wherever this was reported, I think this was ESPN. Big Ben announces this is his final season. Why this is much of an announcement, I mean, that's not too surprising. I still think if things go right, potentially he comes back one more year. Uh, but, you know, supposedly this is Big Ben's final year. And as a fan, you know, that's what my expectation is. Um, but you just never know. And until I hear it from him, besides this report, you just never know. But most likely 99% Big Ben's last hurrah, last game in, uh, against the Ravens in Pittsburgh. He gets the dub. So let's keep the last ride going, baby. Uh, the Panthers fire offensive coordinator Joe Brady. Somewhat of a surprising move in my mind. I, I thought Joe Brady's done good things there. I don't think it's his fault that their offensive line is a completely new unit. I don't think it's his fault that Christian McCaffrey couldn't stay healthy. I don't think it's uh, his fault that they don't have a lot of premier receivers. They lost Curtis Samuel. They only have DJ Moore. Um, you know, they haven't shored up the tight end spot since Greg Olson. So I think a lot of this is um, a cause of circumstances. Um, but Joe Brady will find a job somewhere. Would love to see him in Oklahoma um, for the Sooners. I doubt that will happen. He'll probably stay in the league. Uh, but big news out of out of Carolina. Uh, Corey Davis out for the year with an abdominal injury. Again, the Jets aren't making the postseason any time, but uh, seems to be one of their top receivers for that offense. So, you know, can tamper the performance of the Jets offense moving forward. Jamison Crowder is back in uniform, so at least they're getting him back. But Corey Davis having a good year with the Jets, a big free agent that they had signed. Deontay Harris, the Saints receiver, suspended three games for DUI. And he tried to um, apply to get this taken away, but that wasn't the case. So... Yeah, I mean, the Saints are hurting for receivers. They're in the playoff picture. They need every single body that they can get, especially after, you know, Michael Thomas being out for the year and kind of abandoning ship. So uh, another key piece that will be missing for them. I mean, we could look at it real quick. Who else do they have? Obviously, they have Traycon Smith, Marquez Calloway, and then with that, they really only have... Ty Montgomery, who's technically a running back, and little Jordan Humphrey. So definitely slim pickings. I'm sure they'll sign someone off the practice squad if they haven't already. Um, so I talked about last week doing a dive on an AFC and NFC team each week. Last week, I covered the 
Um, Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC and the Cardinals in the NFC. So we're going to dive into a little bit to some, some you know, division-leading teams, some contending teams here. Uh, the Colts at 7-6 and six in the AFC and the Cowboys at 8-4 and four in the NFC. So starting with the Colts, I had actually predicted this season to have the Colts at 9-7 and seven and barely missing the playoffs. Obviously, I didn't expect, you know, Derrick Henry and the Titans to kind of crumble with injuries. I had them winning the division. But with their remaining schedule and the Titans beat up, they are activating Julio Jones off the IR. A.J. Brown still on the IR, and obviously Derrick Henry is not back. And I haven't heard any updates from Derrick Henry. Be kind of surprised if he's back at the time frame they were giving him. But it's King Henry. He might prove us wrong. Um, but I think they should make the wild card at this point. I think they will finish at 10-7, and 7, so I was one game off. I think they win three of their next four games, and I give them the seventh seed in that situation. When we look at their injuries right now, uh, they're actually a relatively healthy team. Their center, Ryan Kelly, just went on the COVID list this week. I don't know if this is a cause of, you know, a quick, um, uh, a quick activation, two negative tests in for this weekend. Uh, TJ Watt was able to do that for the Steelers last week, and boy, did they need TJ Watt. But Ryan Kelly, a huge piece, you know, that's going to play, um, be somewhat of a, a game changer in the game this week if he doesn't play. Um, but he should be back after that. And then Tyquan Lewis and Julian Blackman are on the IR, but Blackman is expected sooner than later as he was in the IR list in October. So um, having him come back, you really have Tyquan Lewis. So not a lot of huge pieces out for the year or in, in uh, on the IR right now. But the biggest concern for me with the Colts is the health of Jonathan Taylor and the decision-making and health of Carson Wentz. So coming into the season, those were the two pieces. I love Jonathan Taylor, but he's had a lot of yardage on him in college, right? He's had a lot of miles, so to speak. In the NFL, I believe that really people are looking at running backs as cars. Like how many miles? Oh shit, 100,000 miles? Like that's going to be a tough, that's a tough thing to deal with unless you're a Frank Gore, a Derrick Henry or these anomaly of players. But even De Derrick Henry's hurt. Frank Gore has dealt with his injuries. So watching him come out of college and seeing all the th great things he did, I was a little concerned. Plus he isn't King Henry. He's not this massive human being, right? He has a mix of power, speed, and finesse. Uh, but that was really what, you know, had me looking at them quite not making it. Uh, Carson Wentz has been relatively healthy. He started the year with the injury. Uh, that looked really sketchy. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, yep, here we go. Uh, but he's actually played really good ball. He hasn't had to do too much. He, he's very, he's impressed me very much so. And love seeing him on hard knocks. Uh, but both have held up very well. I think they vastly overperformed what I had expected, especially in the health department. When we look at the Colts defense, uh, according to PFF, that's, you know, the analytics, right? This is where I'm going to look at things. Uh, they're ranked 16th overall as a unit, but number two against the run and then like 26 or something against the pass. But as a unit, the defense started brutally. I mean, I had them in fantasy thinking I could hold up onto them the whole year and they were just getting beat up. They were looking like a completely different unit than they do today. Um, but they've really come into their own the past few weeks, uh, about since week nine and should continue this run throughout the rest of the year. They haven't been abused by the past. They've done really good. They've held Tom Brady in check, some other quarterbacks in check. Uh, the last time they got abused was week nine against Josh Johnson and the Jets of all people. Uh, people probably already forgot of Josh Johnson. There was also Mike White for a while. Now um, Zach Wilson's back in the saddle. But 
yeah, I mean, that's just kind of anomaly that that had happened. Um, but when we look at their defensive studs, you have Kenny Moore ranked at number 25 this year by PFF as a, as a, uh, corner Rocky sin ranked number 28 and Isaiah Rogers ranked number 33. So they're right all in there at a pretty good ranking for cornerbacks. You know, you think about it, you have, um, uh, 32 teams, right? Each one has a solid quarterback. That's 32. All these guys are almost within there. Um, so yeah, pretty good ranking. And then, uh, Darius Leonard, the menace, the madman, he's the stud linebacker. He's ranked at number eight. And then PFF has Bobby Okariki, who's having a stellar season uh, that I talk about a lot when we hit those box scores, cause he's doing good things. He is ranked at 35 and then up front DeForest Buckner. What a fucking addition. He's been an amazing free agent to that team. Uh, he's at number 21. And then Grover Stewart's actually playing really solid ball. He's at 31 in the interior. Uh, they also have rookie Pay uh, from Michigan, who's done really well in his rookie year at number 19 on the edge. Uh, but the big plays have really ki- killed them in the back. Uh, Kari Willis, Andrew Sandejo, who's you know a veteran, and Xavier Rhodes have been kind of getting blown up with that big playability in the secondary. Switching sides of the ball, we look at their offense. You know, since their line has been healthy, they've vastly improved. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is having an MVP season at this point. He's like the number third running back in the league, which is kind of surprising. They have Corderell Patterson one, and I think Tony Pollard two. Um, and he has 1,348 yards and 16 teddies. Sheesh. What a stud uh, season he's having. You know, you have four more games, 100-yard games. You're, you're going to be right around 2,000. And then Michael Pittman Jr. is ranked number 19 and definitely not having a sophomore slump. He's been the, the true wide receiver one. He has 882 yards. And they also have had T.Y. Hilton getting healthy. He looks to be more involved in the offense each week. That's a huge bonus to have a veteran guy like that and over-the-top threat, a guy who could beat guys anywhere. Uh, but the running game mixed with the defense really preps this team for a deep playoff run as long as they stay healthy and a team that nobody's going to want to play. Um, I have a feeling random wildcard teams are going to be the teams that pull it off this year, and this is a team that definitely has the the, the right chemistry to get the job done. Um, but yeah, I mean... I have them make the playoffs and watch out, watch out. So in the NFC, we got them Cowboys, America's team, right? Nah, I don't know about that, but um, they're eight and four. I predicted them to be 10 and six to come in the year, which would be good enough to win the dumpster fire of the NFC East. I now think they will up that to 11 with their, their games remaining. So I was right on par with this team as well. The crazy thing is they've been able to do all this with the injuries they've sustained. Right? We're talking Demarcus Lawrence. We're talking Neville Gallimore. We're talking Randy Gregory. We're talking so many different guys on the offensive line. Right, Zeke's dealing with injuries. Amar- Amari Cooper's been out for some time. CeeDee Lamb's had the concussion. Uh, so it's pretty impressive that they've been able to do this. But they're, you know, Demarcus Lawrence is back. They're expecting Neville Gallimore, the big nose tackle, Boomer Sooner up front next week, as well as Randy Gregory. So big guys coming back next week, supposedly. Um, so it looks like they should be healthy for their stretch run, which is the most important. Playing your best ball, your healthiest ball at the end of the season, that's huge. As a defensive unit, they're ranked number five by PFF, uh, but 29 against the run. The return, obviously, of Lawrence, Gregory, and Gallimore, I would assume would have helped that run conversion quite a bit. 
Uh, but how about this rookie, man? Mika Parsons, the number one ranked linebacker right now. He has 10 sacks in the league. They've used him as a Swiss Army knife. And really, basically, their defense has been leaking, right? It's been leaking up against the run game, up against those physical teams. And they're using Mika to kind of patch it. We need you in coverage here. We need you to do this. Like, he's doing so much thing, and he's been patching that defense, allowing him to get dubs. But now they need the rest of the unit to put everything together. And that'll actually be kind of fun to see with those guys back in action. Again, as long as they're healthy, they're not rushed, they're in shape. If you're a professional, I'm assuming all those things will fit the bill. You just never know. Some of these are young dudes, right? Um, yeah, I mean, injuries can be tough. Um, but yeah, with that healthy unit, Mika Parsons, what a tool he's going to be against the run. Um, Leighton Vander Esch is ranked number 49 in the linebacking department. J. Ron Curse is the 13th ranked safety and Anthony Brown having a good year, ranked 29th uh, uh, out of the corners. Um, while Trayvon Diggs obviously bursted on the scene, he's got leading the NFL with picks still with nine interceptions on the season. Now the offense, right? The Cowboys, their big shiny toy, all these receivers, multiple running backs, potentially the best line in football. That was different at the start of the year. They had a lot of offensive line issues. L. Collins with the PED suspension. Um, some, some injuries to Tyron Smith, to Zach Martin, but they are a complete unit now and potentially the best in the league, to be honest. Um, Dak ranks is the number five quarterback overall, the PFF this year. He has 3,170 yards. Tony Pollard's that number two running back. He isn't number one. He isn't getting fed like the number one, but every time this man touches the ball, it is fireworks. It's must see TV Thanksgiving, that kick return. I mean, what can't this guy do? Uh, you got to get on the ball more. And then, obviously, Zeke, him and Zeke together make a good committee. And then you got CeeDee Lamb, another boomer sooner, baby. Uh, he ranks number four in receivers, 829 yards in his sophomore season. But as I look at it, I have the Cowboys as the four seed hosting the Rams, uh, which they don't play this season. That would be an incredible matchup. And as long as they stay healthy, this looks to be the season that they can truly make that championship run as long as they can begin to stop that run. There's going to be teams in the NFC that are, are going to live through running the ball, and if you can't beat them in cold weather, potentially in November, you know, December, January football, they're not going to be able to win a championship. But there is a lot of dome teams in the NFC. I really do like the, the Cowboys. They got to be able to play more efficient football. They got to figure out, do we have Pollard take more of the carries? Is Zeke okay? What's going on there? And as long as our receivers are healthy, this is going to be a damaging team. We really haven't seen Gallup, um, CD, and Amari together. And Drew Schultz is kind of broken out. So they definitely have the potential. I think I picked them to go to the Super Bowl last year, and then all those injuries happened back out. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm not saying I think the Super Bowl favorite team. But things go right. This team is a true contender. They're not a pretender. And, fuck, if they do play the Rams week one or – uh, the in the first uh, round of the playoffs, that's going to be a fun one. Lots of good storylines there. The media is going to eat that shit up. You got the Cowboys, you got the Rams, you got uh, Dallas, you got LA, you got big name quarterbacks, you got a little bit of everything. So can't wait for the playoffs. Can't wait. When it comes to the picks for this week, I was nine and five. I'm a 108 and 73 on the season, so still doing well. Uh, the week looked a lot better till Buffalo laid an egg. The weather set that game up perfectly for Tom Brady and the three-throw Mac Jones. But hey, what can you do? I guess I should start looking more into weather when I'm picking my games. 
But let's talk about what's happened last week. I mean, shit, we look at the standings today. The Patriots atop the AFC East. It's kind of surprising there. The Bills seem like this big-time Super Bowl favorite coming into the season. The Ravens are still atop the AFC North. I guess that's not too crazy. Um, the Titans uh, atop the AFC South. The Chiefs atop the AFC West. Cowboys, NFC East. Pack, NFC North. Bucks, NFC South. Cardinals, NFC West, that could be a surprise, not a surprise since this season's happened. So nothing too crazy, crazy um, with lead, lead uh, divisional leading teams. But when we look back next last week to week 13, we had the Cowboys again on a Thursday night game. They had played in Thanksgiving the week before, and they were able to deliver on the road against the, you know, non-true quarterbackless Saints. They beat the Saints 27 to 17. Uh, Dak was 26-40, 238, a touchdown and a pick against a very solid defense. And uh, Tony Pollard led the way, even though he had half of the carries as Zeke, uh, with 71 yards, that's a 10 per average, uh, 10 per carry average with the touchdown. He had that 58-yard run. And Zeke had 13 carries for 44 y- 45 yards. That's a 3.5 average. Uh, it hasn't been very great in that department for him. The receiving core is led by CD is, again, Amari Cooper did make his return in this game, but was limited. He had seven catches for 89 yards on 13 targets. Uh, So, obviously, the Saints defense is what they are. They, you know, kept the the Saints within the game, but weren't able to finish. As Taysom Hill was 19 for 41, so you can't say there is a lack of trying in the passing department. You give Taysom Hill 41 attempts right out the gate. That's wild. Um was for 264 yards, two touchdowns, and four picks for a 44.2 rating, and uh, he was sacked twice. The run game was led by him. Uh, Alvin Kamara still out. He had 11 carries for 101 yards. He had that crazy run where he leapfrogged a guy, bounced off a guy. Uh, Why he's playing quarterback and how he's getting... He, I feel like he's snaking the, the Saints with all this money he's making. And Mark Ingram also had 10 carries, but only 28 yards on those 10 carries. And Deontay Harris led the team in receiving with four catches, 96 yards, and a tutty. Little Jordan Humphrey with the tutty as well. Defensively, as a unit, the Saints only got to Dak one time. Uh, I would like to see him run more. I don't know if it's injury. The coach is like, hey, we don't want you to get hurt. But he is technically a dual-threat quarterback, and there hasn't been much dual in the dual threat for Dak. Um, Would love to see him more mobile. But the... um, Saints did get a pick from him with Marshawn Lattimore, the lockdown corner that they have. For the Cowboys, D, Anthony Brown had 10 tackles and two passes defended. They got to Taysom Hill twice. And then uh, Carlos Watkins, DeMonte Kazee, J. Ron Curse, and Trayvon Diggs with picks. Carlos Watkins with the pick six. Um, conversion rate for the Saints, 5 of 14 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Cowboys, a terrible 2 of 13 and 0 for 1 on 4th. The Saints did out-yard the Cowboys by 30, but obviously when you're minus 3 in the turnover, they were they had 4 turnovers of the Cowboys 1. It's going to be hard to win a game. They did out-possess the Cowboys by 3 minutes. Moving into Sunday morning, the Buccaneers um, easily beating the Falcons 30-17. to Tom Brady 38 for 51, throwing the ball. Uh, 368 yards, 4 touchdowns, and a pick. Leonard Fournette, Continuing to be RB1, 13 carries, 44 yards. And then Chris Godwin leading the way with 15 receptions on 17 targets for a buck 43. 
Rob Gronkowski's back. He gets two tutties. And Leonard Fournette also gets 48 yards receiving and a touchdown to be right at under 100 all-purpose yards on the day. And for the Falcons, Matt Ryan, 30-41, 297, no picks or tutties. Uh, Corderell Patterson leading the way. They love to have him back. 13 carries for 78 yards. That's a six per average. And then Russell Gage, 11 catches for 130 yards, um, being active as all their receivers are hurt. Uh, Russell Gage did lose a fumble, though. For the Falcons defense, Foisade, Alukin, again, boy, getting tackles, 15 tackles on the day. Uh, they didn't get a sack. Marlon Davidson did get an interception, and it happened to be a pick six right in the red zone. And for the Buccaneers, Devin White with 10 tackles. He had a QB hit. Antoine Winfield Jr. with 10 tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a pass defended. They were able to get to Matt Ryan five times, two of those from Ndamukong Sue. And the big boy up the middle, Vita Vea, welcome back. Two bangers apiece. The conversion rate for the Falcons, 9-17 uh, on third down. It's actually pretty solid. The Bucks 8-13, of 13, one for one on fourth. The Bucks out-yarded the Falcons by 40. Both teams had one turnover, and the Falcons outpossessed the Bucks by five minutes in defeat. The Cardinals, the A-team's back. They're able to beat the Bears 33-22. to uh, Kyler Murray, 11-15, 123, and two touchdowns. With all the turnovers that was given to the Cardinals, their offense wasn't forced to do too much. James Conner with over 20 carries, though, for 75 yards. It's a 3.8 average. And Kyler Murray ran the ball 10 times for 59 yards. That's two touchdowns as well as a runner. So four tutties on the day. Uh, James Conner also had the the team let lead in receptions and yards for 36 yards and a touchdown. So he had over a hundred all purpose and found the end zone. Deandre Hopkins. Welcome back. He had a, a touchdown catch as well for the bears. Andy Dalton leading the way. Justin Fields rib issues. He was questionable. Now he's questionable this week, but why put him in danger, especially when you're at four and eight. So I'd expect Dalton to play again this week, but he was 26 for 41, 229, two touchdowns, but four picks Left out four picks on the damn thing. David Montgomery back in action, looking good. 21 carries, 90 yards. That's a 4.3 average. He found the end zone as well. And then Jakeem Grant Jr. leading the team in uh, receiving. Five catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. David Montgomery right there as well, 51 receiving yards to go over 100 all-purpose. The defense of the Bears only able to get to Kyler Murray one time. Um, for the Cardinals' defense... Jordan Hicks had 13 tackles and two sacks, two tackles for a loss and two QB hits. That boy was everywhere. Uh, Jalen Thompson with 10 tackles, one pass defended. And then the Cardinals as a unit were able to get to Dalton three times outside of the two Jordan Hicks sacks. Buda Baker, Zach Allen, Byron Murphy, Jalen Thompson, all with the pick on the day. Those U-Dub uh, corners and, and defensive backs out there balling. The Bears on third down, 6 of 15, 4 for 4 on 4, so great conversion rates, actually. The Cardinals, 5 of 11 on third, 1 for 2 on fourth. The Bears were able to outyard the uh, Cardinals by 80, but were minus 4 in the turnover department, and they did outpossess the Cardinals by 9 minutes. Big game for the AFC. The Chargers trout the Bengals. The Bengals tried to keep it close, but they, they made it uh, a little bit ugly late. Uh, 41 to 22. The Chargers 7-5, the Bengals also 7-5. and five. 
AFC, these playoff races are getting tight. Uh, Justin Herbert, 26 of 35, 317 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. Austin Eckler led the team in rushing, 14 carries for 59 yards. It's a 4.2 average. He got a touchdown as well. And then Mike Williams, deep threat, the deep threat is back. Five catches, 110 yards. Uh, Jalen Gutton with a 44-yard touchdown reception and 90 yards on the day as well. Joe Burrow, 24 of 40, 300 yards, one touchdown and two picks. Joe Mixon, a handful of carries at 19, but only 54 yards. It's a 2.8 average and a touchdown against one of the worst run Ds in the league. I'm sure the Chargers are sick of hearing that narrative and were able to put that to sleep a little bit. Uh, T. Higgins led the way, nine catches, 138 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Boyd finally getting some action with 85 yards. Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow also lost uh, a fumble. Austin Eckler lost two of them for the Chargers. Uh, defensively for the Bengals, as a unit, they were able to get to Herbert four times. And Chidobe Awuzi got an interception. The cast off from the Cowboys continues to ball out for the Bengals. And for the Chargers, Kaiser White, 10 tackles, one tackle for a loss. Drew Tranquil, 10 tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a pass defended, and a QB hit. Uchenna and Swusu uh, with two sacks on the day for them as well. I'm not familiar with him, but he's a 2000, uh, he's a, been in the league for three years, second round pick from USC. Uh, Chris Harris Jr. and Michael Davis with interceptions for the uh, for the Chargers. The Bengals were 50%, 6-12 on third, 0-1 on fourth. The Chargers, 4-13, for 1-1 for one on fourth. The Chargers out-yarded the Bengals by 7. Uh, they were plus 1 in the turnover differential. The, the Bengals had 4, the Chargers 3. And the Bengals outpossessed the Chargers by 3 minutes. A lot of turnovers. And then the Lions win. The Lions win. Um, brutal for the Vikings as they're trying to chase playoffs. They take two steps forward and always seem to take three steps back. But what a cool celebration. Dan Campbell and team get in that win. They will not break a record for the first team to go over in an expanded season with a, with a tie. So I'm sure they're happy to get a win under their cap. Uh, but Kirk Cousins playing decent ball. He was 30 of 40, 340 yards and two touchdowns. By the way, the Lions went 29 to 27 as the Vikings fall to five and seven. So Kirk Cousins had a good game. RB2, Alexander Madison, little mini Dalvin Cook. They gave him 22 carries. He got 90 yards. It's a 4.1 average. Uh, got a touchdown as well. And then Justin Jefferson cooking 11 catches on 14 targets, 182 yards and a touchdown. Have a day, sir. Uh, but for the Lions, Jared Goff, he's out there slinging as well. 25 of 41, 296, three touchdowns and a pick. Jamal Williams without DeAndre Swift, 17 of 71, uh, 17 carries for 71 yards. That's a 4.2 average. And he ended up losing a fumble, his first fumble on record, which is wild. Um, and Amon Ross St. Brown led the team in receiving 10, 10 catches, 86 yards and a touchdown. TJ Hawkinson found the end zone as well. Now, Kirk Cousins did lose a fumble, so, so no picks, but lost a fumble. Uh, for the Lions defense, Tracy Walker III with 11 tackles on the day. Uh, Charles Harris with two sacks uh, as the unit had three on uh, Kirk Cousins. For the Vikings defense, Nick Vigil, 15 tackles. Blake Lynch with two sacks um, out of the three as a unit. And then Cameron Dantzler with a pick as well.
pretty clean game on both sides. There's like, how in the hell did the Vikings lose this game? Right. They both had a turnover. Uh, doesn't seem like no crazy special teams were involved. So looking at the team stats, the Lions are only two of 11 on third, one for three on fourth. The Vikings six of 13 on third, 0 for one on fourth. They out yarded the Lions by 50. Uh, they were plus one in the turnover differential as Lions had two, Vikings had one. And they outpossessed the Lions by freaking seven minutes. It's just crazy to think how they lost this game. And a lot of it has to do with field goals in the red zone, right? Greg Joseph, one, two, three, three field goals. Um, the Lions had three as well. They were up 9-0 after the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, tough game, tough game on the road. But the Lions win. The Lions win. Uh, the Dolphins moved to 6-7 and seven as they beat the Giants 20-9. The Danny Dimeless-led uh, Giants, Mike Glennon in. He went 23 of 44, 187 in a pick. Saquon Barkley trying to get momentum going, 11 carries for 55 yards. And then Evan Ingram leading the receiving core, four catches for 61 yards. Kenny Galladay getting five targets, only three receptions for 37 yards. The big acquisition that you thought would be a game-changing receiver for their offense. I thought maybe Mike would give him the ball more too. Um, for the Dolphins, Tua, 30 of 41. 244 and two touchdowns, another good performance. Miles Gaskin, 15 carries for 44 yards. It's a 2.9 average. And then Jalen Waddell, you know, Tua's favorite guy, nine catches for 90 yards. Devontae Parker right there was 62 as well. The Dolphins' D was able to get three sacks as a unit, two of those from Jalen Phillips. Xavier uh, Howard got an interception. For the Giants' defense, they were able to get two sacks on Tua, no picks. The uh, Dolphins were 6 of 15 on third down. Uh, the Giants 6 of 16, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Lion, or the Dolphins out-yarded the Giants by 47. They were uh, plus 1 in the turnover differential as the Giants had one turnover. And they out-possessed the Giants by a minute in victory. And then we had the Minshew show. Gardner Minshew, you see the video. As they're hyped, him and his dad, the George, the mustache, America. Uh, the Eagles beat the Jets 33 to 18 in Zach Wilson's return. Uh, the mustache 20 of 25, 242 and two touchdowns. People are talking quarterback controversy. The Eagles are saying no, it's Jalen Hurts' job. But Gardner, Gardner showing to be a capable backup quarterback and potential starter in the league. Miles Sanders getting it going finally. 24 carries, 120 yards on the day. Kenneth Gainwell had 12 as well uh, for 54 and a touchdown. Dallas Goddard led the team in receiving six catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. That's the that's the type of offense that they expected coming in, expecting Goddard to go off and the run game to be working. For the Jets, Zach Wilson, 23 of 38, 226, and two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, so only one pick this time, only one. Uh, but Telvin Coleman led the backfield with 11 carries for 58 yards. That's a 5.3 average. That'll do. And Elijah Moore, six catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. Um, that Zach Wilson-Elijah Moore combo should be something we hear a lot of in the future. On the defensive side of the ball, C.J. Mosley, big money, big tackles, 13 tackles. Quincy William with 13 tackles as well. For the Eagles defense, Marcus Epps with an interception, uh, T.J. Edwards with 11 tackles, and Josh Sweat with a sack and a half. 
The Jets were only three of nine on third down, two for three on fourth. The Eagles six for 13 on third, one for one on fourth down. The Eagles out-yarded the Jets by 140. They were plus one in the turnover, one to zero, and out-possessed the Jets by 11 minutes. Fly, Eagles, fly. Now the Colts schlomp blank the Texans 31 to zero as the Texans go to two and 10, the Colts seven and six. Carson Wentz, playing Carson Wentz led football 16 to 22, 158 in a tutty. And then Jonathan MVP Taylor, 32 of them damn things. He got 32 carries. They're not letting up. Uh, 143 and two touchdowns as a runner. That's a 4.5 average. He only had a 16-yard breakout run. Uh, but 4.5, that's going to get it done for 32 carries. And then Michael Pittman, six catches, 77 yards. For the Texans, Davis Mills fills in for Tyrod, six of 14 for 49 yards. Rex Burkhead leads the backfield with eight carries for 30 yards. It's a 3.8 average. And Brandon Cooks, three catches for 38 yards to lead the receiving. Farrell Brown lost a fumble for the Texans. Jonathan Taylor lost a fumble for the Colts. He had that fumble issue a little bit in college. But as a defense, the Texans on the field a lot. Kamaru Gruger Hill, 20 tackles, one sack, three tackles for a loss, and a QB hit. Uh, shout out Eastern Illinois. He's been in the league for a little bit, uh, for a little bit, but 20 tackles. God damn. And then for the Colts, they were able to have a couple bangers as Al-Quadin Muhammad gets two sacks. Kimoko Toure with two sacks as well. And Kenny Moore with the interception. The Texans, 3-12 of 12 on third, 0-3 on fourth. The Colts, 7-13 for 13 on third, 1-1 one one on fourth. The Colts out-yarded the Texans by 100, or 240, and they were also um, plus one in the turnover differential. Texans, two turnovers of the Colts, one. The Colts, by 23 minutes, out-possessed the Texans. That's how you get 20 tackles right there. He was working. The Washington football team, they keep on winning. They move to an even 500 as they squeak by the Raiders, 17-15. to 15. Both teams are now 6-6 six and six in the AFC and NFC, respectively. Taylor Heineke, playing good ball. I was a fan of him at the start of the year, and he had such bad performance. I was frustrated. I was like, this guy should deserve the job. He should be the starter. And he's been playing better ball. 23-30, 196, two touchdowns and a pick. Antonio Gibson continuing to get good amount of carries. 23 carries for 88 yards. It's a 3.8 average. And then Logan Thomas, before he was hurt, led the team in receiving three catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Antonio Gibson also had 23 yards as a receiver with a touchdown. For the Raiders, Derek Carr, 28 for 38, 249 yards. Josh Jacobs, 13 carries for 52, 52 yards. That's a twenty or 4.0 average and a touchdown. And then Hunter Renfro, just out there doing little Wes Welker-like games, man. Nine catches, 102 yards lead the way. Josh Jacobs also had 38 yards receiving just to be under 100. On the defense, Nate Hobbs with the pick for the Raiders. Denzel Perryman continuing to rack up double-digit tackles with 12. He had one for a loss and a QB hit. And then Devine Diablo, 11 tackles for the Raiders as well. They got to um, Taylor Heineke once as a unit. Now, Washington got to Derek Carr once as a unit. No picks. Cole Holcomb with 10 tackles and two passes defended. The Raiders, 2 of 8 on third. 
the Washington football team 7 to 13. You got to keep drives going to win football games. The Raiders out yarded the um Washington football team by 12. They won the turnover differential plus 1. It was 1 to 0 and were outpossessed by 7 minutes in defeat. Then we had the Rams smoke the Jaguars 37 to 7. The Rams go to 8 and 4. Matt Stafford was 26 to 38, 295 and 3 touchdowns. Sonny Michelle getting a good workload with uh, during Darrell Henderson's absence. 24 carries for 121 yards. It's a 5.0 average and a touchdown. And then the Cup show keeps going. Cooper Cup, eight catches, 129 and a tutty. Keep doing your damn thing. I know your Eastern Washington Eagles be watching you at home because the Grizz take their ass down. But I love watching FCS kids ball out. Keep doing your, keep doing the damn thing. For the Jags, Trevor Lawrence, 16 to 28, 145 yards. Carlos Hyde gets majority of the carries because James Robinson fumbles, fucks me in fantasy. Uh, Carlos Hyde, 9 for 24 and a touchdown. That's a pretty pathetic 2.7 per average. And then Laquan Treadwell led the way. The, you know, almost out of the league, Laquan Treadwell leading the way for the Jags. Of course, that's typical. Four, care, four catches for 62 yards. Like I had said, James Robinson lost a fumble. So did Carlos Hyde. For the uh, Rams defense, they got two sacks on Trevor as a unit. For the Jaguars defense, they only got one sack on Mr. Matt Stafford. Conversion rates, the Rams 5 of 12 on third down. Not very good. One for one on fourth. The Jaguars were also 5 of 12, but one for two on fourth. Uh, the Rams out-yarded the uh, Jaguars by 210. They won the turnover battle 2-0 and outpossessed the Jaguars by 7 minutes. And then we had the game of the week. If you're an AFC fan, you're a football fan, this should be Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. One of these games every year should be primetime. It's almost, I know it's ugly football, you want to call it what you want to call it, but it's must-see TV, it's an amazing rivalry, it's a true rivalry, and when these two teams play, it means business. But the Steelers edged the victory over the Ravens to move to 6-5-1. The Ravens dropped to 8-4, still stay ahead of the division. Thanks to the Chargers beating the Bengals. Ooh, a little squeak there. Bengals? Uh, but Big Ben, 21-31, 236 and two touchdowns. Yes, he can still sling the ball. Najee, Harris, 21 carries, 71 yards. It's a 3.4 average. And then Deontay Johnson, eight catches, 105 yards, two touchdowns. He dropped one, but he came back and made up for it. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 23-37, 253 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And then obviously led the way for the backfield with 55 yards on eight carries. Devonta Freeman did get 14 carries for 52 yards. It's a 3.7 average. He found the end zone as well. Marquise Hollywood Brown, five catches, 55 yards. Mark Andrews, four catches, 50 yards. Boomer fucking Sooner. I wish these two guys weren't in the division rivalry team. Regardless, the Steelers defense, led by the defensive player of the year, should be the two-time, potentially the three-time. He keeps getting robbed. This man had COVID, sat at home, ran in his backyard, came in three and a half sacks. 
Game-changing player. He's paid the most. He deserves to be paid the most. Well, Chris Wormley, ex-Raven, says, yeah, I want that smoke. He gets two and a half sacks as well as the team got seven as a unit. And then the Ravens, Brandon Williams had 11 tackles, one for a loss. They did get to Big Ben once. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick had the lone interception on the day. Minka, game changer. The Steelers are 5 of 12 on third, not very good. Uh, the Ravens, 8 of 16, good 50%. The Steelers were out yarded by the Ravens by 5, but won the turnover differential 1 to 0, and were out possessed by the Ravens by 13 minutes. It seemed like that whole first quarter, that whole first half, the Steelers barely had the damn football. Another little rivalry game in the NFC. Another potential surprise for most casual fans. The Seahawks beat the 49ers in Seattle. The 12s stayed strong. They win 30-23. to They go to 4-8 as the uh, San Francisco 49ers stay at 6-6. Six six. Russell Wilson, 30 for 37, 231, two touchdowns and a pick. Travis Homer led the way with 80 yards because he had a 73-yard breakout run for a touchdown. But Rashad Penny had 10 carries for 35 yards. Adrian Peterson, 11 for 16. That's a terrible 1.5 per average. But he got in the end zone. AD all day. Uh, Tyler Lockett, 7 catches for 68 yards and a touchdown to lead the team in receiving. For the Niners, Jimmy G. Jimmy GQ Jimmy. <laughs> 20 for 30, 299, two touchdowns and two picks. Big divisional loss in the playoff race. Puts pressure on Kyle Shanahan. What are you going to do with your QBs? Everyone wants to know. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, 22 carries, 66 yards. It's a three per run average and a touchdown. And then George Kittle, nine catches, 181. Not one, but two touchdowns. He was pretty much the whole offense. Obviously, they're missing uh, Debo Samuel, but Elijah Mitchell, only three Yards per carry is not going to get the job done, especially in a Shanahan-led offense. Travis Benjamin lost a fumble for the Niners. Gerald Everett with two fumbles lost for the Seahawks. The Seahawks' defense was led by Jordan Brooks with 11 tackles, one tackle for a loss. They did get a sack as a unit. And then Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner with picks. Bobby Wagner, big pick by Quandre Diggs. Aziz Al-Shahar for the Niners with 16 tackles, a half a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. As a unit, they got to Russell four times, and Quan Williams got an interception. The Seahawks were 5 of 15 on third, 2 for 2 on fourth. The Niners, a terrible 3 of 10 on third, 1 for 2 on fourth. The Niners did outyard the Seahawks by 40. They both had three turnovers. And the Seahawks outpossessed the Niners by seven minutes. Did not pick that game, right? Um, and then Sunday night, another little divisional game. The Charger or the Chargers, the Chiefs beat the Broncos twenty-two to nine in a kind of a clunker of a game. The Chiefs are now eight and four. All those issues right down the drain, and the uh, Broncos, a typical five hundred team at six and six. Uh, Pat Mahomes, 15-29, 184 and a pick. Uh, CEH with 14 carries for 54 yards. That's a 3.9 average. And Darrell Williams, the backup running back, lead the team in receiving with 60 yards. Uh, CEH had 28 in the secondary. So Tyreek Hill, only 22 yards. Travis Kelsey, only 27. They found a way to get the job done. Teddy Bridgewater, 22 of 40, 257, a touchdown and two picks. And Javante Williams with 23 carries for 102 yards. It's a 4.4 average. 
do the damn thing, rookie. Do the damn thing. Obviously, no Melvin Gordon in this game. Uh, Jerry Judy led the team in receiving with 77 yards. But Javante Williams was 76 yards and a touchdown. Lots of running back passes here. So he had 178 overall yard, total yards. Now, Deontay Spencer did uh, lose a fumble for the um, Broncos on special teams. Their defense as a unit got to Pat Mahomes once. And Pat Sertain had an interception. What a first-round pick he's turned out to be. For the Chiefs as a unit, they got to Teddy Bridgewater once. Daniel Sorensen and Juan Thornhill with picks. The Chiefs were uh, 5 of 12 on third. The Broncos 4 of 14, 3 for 6 on fourth down. The Chiefs were out yarded by the Broncos by 140, but they lost the turnover battle minus 2. That's 3 to 1. And they outpossessed the uh, Chiefs by 7 minutes. Turnovers killed them. They killed them, Cotton. And then we have the Monday night football game. Uh, what a crazy game this was. Typical Buffalo, right? Blowing. Uh, they showed pregame. The, the field goal poles are best bented all over the place. There's snow. There's cold. And uh, Bill Belichick told Mac Jones, we're going to hand the ball to Ramondre and Damian and Brandon Bolden all game and go from there. It was enough to get them to the victory, the divisional lead victory. They beat the Bills 14-10. to They moved to 9-4. and The Bills 7-5. to um, this is the perfect storm, literally and figuratively, for the Patriots. You know, a lot of people are going to take this. Bill Belichick's back. The AFC is reigning supreme. Watch out for the Pats. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not too afraid of them, honestly. I wouldn't be. <clears throat> um, Josh Allen, 15-30, 145 yards and a touchdown. Josh Allen led the team in running with 39 yards on six carries. They did give Singletary 10 for 36. And Zach Moss, 8 for 21. That's a 2.6 average. Brito was in, fumbled the ball. He never saw the field again. Stephon Diggs did lead the team in receiving with 51 yards. For the Patriots, Mac Jones, 2 of 3 and 19 yards for an 84 rating. Uh, Damian Harris with the big touchdown run. He had a 64-yard touchdown run. He ended up with 111 yards and a tutty. And Ramondre Stevenson, 24 carries for 78 yards. It's a 3.3 average. And John O. Smith led the team with the 12 yards receiving. <coughs> Excuse me. Now on the other side of the ball, defense. Josh Allen did fumble the ball once. So did Nikhil Harry for the Pats. Um, the Bills didn't get any sacks to Mac Jones. It's hard when he throws the ball three times. Uh, the Patriots sacked Josh Allen one time as a unit. And Devon could show with 10 tackles on the day. Excuse me, they had two sacks as a unit, and then he had the 10 tackles. The Bills were 4 of 13 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Pats, 2 of 12, 1 for 2, ugly offense. The Patriots did out-yard the Bills by 11. Both teams had a turnover, and the Patriots outpossessed the Bills by five minutes. So that sets us up. We're at week 14. Sheesh. Week 14 of the NFL season, Thursday night football, the Vikings hosting the Steelers, the 5-7 and seven Vikings, the 6-5-1 and one Steelers. Yeah, this is a big game for both teams. This is a must-win game for both teams. Whoever loses this game, I am considered eliminated from the playoffs. So huge win. Uh, Dalvin Cook, questionable, most likely isn't going to play. You know, they have many Dalvin and, and, and Madison, um, you know, 
I, I will bring this up. I should have brought it up during the Steelers game. But the fact that they didn't call that Deontay Johnson catch a catch, the NFL still doesn't know what the fuck a catch is. This was a no-catch call in the third quarter, which potentially could have you know cost them the game. And they were able to get the job done. But it's just crazy that uh, that wasn't a catch. This is a huge game. Hopefully they know how to call a catch a catch. Um, but yeah, whoever loses this, I think is going to be eliminated. I think the Steelers and the Vikings both try to live through the, the run game. Um, but I'm going to go with the Steelers on the road. I think the, the Vikings have too many injuries. Uh, they're missing some, some key pieces on defense. They did just activate Patrick Peterson from COVID in the secondary. Uh, but Dalvin Cook's a big playmaker. Madison's great, but he is at Dalvin Cook. But watch out. Joe Hayden still not practicing. He's been out for a couple weeks. Uh, Thielen, Jefferson, how are they going to match up there? So it's going to be a close game. Minnesota's favored by three at home. I'm taking the dog. I'm taking the Steelers on the road. Uh, heading into Sunday morning, we have another AFC North battle. The Browns hosting the Ravens. The Browns are actually favored by two and a half at home. I'm taking them at home to cover. I'll, I'll take the field goal. Then we have the Titans hosting the Jaguars. The Titans favored by nine at home. I'll take the Titans. I'm not taking them to cover at home uh, without, obviously, a lot of their playmakers. You know, points are going to be hard to come by, but they should have enough to get the win. Little AFC West matchup, the Chiefs hosting the Raiders. The Chiefs favored by nine and a half at home. I am taking the Chiefs. I don't think they cover. And then the Jets hosting the Saints Sunday morning. The Saints favored by five on the road. Whew, this is a tough one. I'm going to go with the Saints strictly because that defense is going to win the game for them against Zach Wilson. Uh, but I do not have any confident, confidence in them covering a spread over, over two and a half points. So I'm not taking them to cover. The dumpster fire division, the Washington football team hosting the Cowboys. It's actually a huge, massive game for Sunday morning. Um, I'm going to, or Cowboys are favored by four on the road. I'm going to take the Cowboys. I keep picking against the Washington football team. They keep proving me wrong. But when you look at the rosters here, the Cowboys have a lot better roster. The defense of the Washington football team has not been, they've been performing well of late, but as a whole season, been very underwhelming. Obviously no Chase Young. I just can't pick them in this game. They win this game. Things in that division gets really, really interesting, though. The Panthers hosting the Falcons. Panthers favored by two and a half at home. I'm actually going to take the Falcons on the road. Let me... Doesn't feel right. It's hard for me to pick the Panthers. No McCaffrey, Cam Newton. They've, just, they've gone through a lot of shit. They're kind of a dumpster fire. I actually don't think I've even made my picks for this week. I'm making my picks right now. That's crazy. I always usually do this right away. Let me look here. <laughs> Waiting for it to load. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Falcons on the road. They got Cordell Patterson. They're, they're a competitive team. I just have no faith in the, Panth uh, yeah, the Panthers as of now. I haven't even done my picks. Um, that's going to be, that's a tough one though. But yeah, I think I'm going to go Falcons on the road. Texans hosting the Seahawks uh, for the last morning game. Seattle favored by seven and a half on the road. I am going to take the Seahawks. That defense is scrappy, though. I'm not going to take them to cover. The afternoon, we have the Broncos hosting the Lions. The Lions, that momentum, baby. Uh, the Broncos favored by eight at home. I'm going to go with the Broncos. That run game should win them the game itself. The Chargers hosting the Giants. No Danny Dimes. The Chargers favored by ten and a half at home. The Giants defense has been playing pretty scrappy as well. I'm going to take the Chargers, but not to cover. 
The Bengals favor or um, hosting the 49ers. The Bengals favored by one. I'm going to take the 49ers in the upset here, especially after the last week's loss. I have to win this game. So do the uh, Bengals, but I like the leadership and the experience of the Niners to get the job done here. I don't see the uh, Bengals stopping the run game for the Niners. So I'm going to take the Niners on the road. Big fun game here. Potential, a a lot of people's Super Bowl picks. The Buccaneers, and it's only an afternoon game, which is crazy. The Buccaneers hosting the Bills, nine and three Bucks, seven and five Bills. The Bucks favored by three at home. I'm going to take the Bucks. I think that run game is getting better. Their defense is getting healthier. Um, there's just better weapons for them to get the job done. I don't expect AB to play this season. That's a huge loss for them when it comes to the playoff hopes. Uh, but I'm going to go with the the Buccaneers here at home. And then Sunday night, nice little NFC North battle. The Packers hosting the Bears. Everyone wants to see Andy Dalton on Sunday night. Why they didn't flex the Bills-Bucks games here kind of blows my mind. Why? Well, Aaron Rodgers, that's probably why. The Packers favored by 12.5 at home. I'm going to take them divisional game in the winter. Hell no, I'm not taking them to cover. And then Monday night, the Cardinals and the Rams, another huge NFC game, a huge NFC West game. This NFC West is going to be a banger down to the wire. We all knew it. The Cardinals are favored by 2.5 at home. I'm going to take them at home and to cover. I haven't been picking against the Rams a lot this year. Um, and I haven't been quite as much of a believer into the Cardinals, but that defense has me believing. Uh, you would think with Von Miller, um, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, that defense would brutalize teams like the Cardinals, but they have it to this point. So until they start showing their physicality and that they're the big dogs of the division, I ain't picking them. So go Cardinals go K one baby. All right. NFL, man. Shit's getting crazy. What's really getting crazy is all these college football changes. So Notre Dame hiring their defensive coordinator as their head coach. Adrian Martinez entering the transfer portal. Does anyone really care about that? This guy's like a super senior. I don't think that highly of him. Someone will take him, but I don't know if that's too splashy. Uh, Miami hires Mario Cristobal. Kind of a weird situation. They had a good year, a really improving year with all the injuries and things that happened to them. They get this coach instead to tell their coach to suck it. Uh, but they have Mario Cristobal uh, from Oregon. Oklahoma hires Clemson defensive coordinator Brett Venables. He used to be an assistant coach on the team, so there is some familiarity. Not a big-name splash move, but a consistent good move as they get ready and prep for the SEC. Brent Pry, the Penn State defensive coordinator, hired as Virginia Tech's head coach. For the uh, Alabama, tough for their championship game and hopes. But John Mechie tears ACL, obviously going to be out for the rest of the year. Hopefully that doesn't affect his draft stock and his return coming into the draft next year. Uh, LSU quarterback Mac John- Max Johnson enters the transfer portal. I saw this one earlier. I hadn't seen headlines on this. This one's kind of a surprising move for me personally. Uh, maybe I already brought it up and just it's been weeks and I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Max Johnson piecing out of LSU. Heisman finalists announced C.J. Stroud, Kenny Pickett, Aiden Hutchinson, and Bryce Young. I would assume Bryce Young's going to win it, but Kenny Pickett's put up a goddamn case. And then the final four college football playoff or rankings uh, completed. We're going to talk about the games last week, talk to you about how I think these final rankings look, and I'm also going to talk about the FCS playoffs. We did not talk about that last week. My Grizz had the bye week, so I was going to wait till this week to, to fill us up in the FCS. So we look at the final four. Bama, number one. I honestly think Michigan deserved number one. 
right? Bama had lost Michigan and been proving their point. I don't know. I guess Georgia's so good, they just automatically throw them all the way up to one. Uh, but I think Michigan was deserving a number one. Doesn't matter too much because that would have put Bama at number two. They would have faced each other anyways. But it looks to me like it's going to be an Alabama-Georgia rematch. So the SEC can keep stroking themselves. Uh, Notre Dame finished five. I hate that they're there. I understand it. They have one loss. But they are not the fifth best team in the country. I think they're vastly overrated. Um, I would have said that about Baylor. They beat Oklahoma State. They keep proving me wrong. So they're deserving there. Um... Utah up to 11. Cool. So Utah beats Oregon twice and all of a sudden they're the 11th best team in the country. No, that just shows you how over grossly overrated the number 14th ranked Oregon team is. And I can't wait to get down into my picks for that Oregon, Oklahoma game, little rematch game. But yeah, both those PAC 12 teams definitely overrated BYU at 13. I feel is overrated as well as Iowa with no offense at, at 15. Um, I think Arkansas is better than all those teams. I just mentioned um, Texas A&M is probably better than a lot of them too. So I, I don't know if I fully agree with these. Um, some of the bowl games, uh, you know, you move some of these teams around, it does make some changes, but we'll talk about bowl games next week. I'm super excited to do my picks for that as we have a little break before they start. Uh, but yeah, last week on Friday, Utah steamrolls, Oregon, like, is this a surprise, right? Uh, they're able to literally run up a V a and B gaps all game long. Um, Cameron Rising, 15 to 24, 170 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Uh, but they ran for 191 yards as a unit. That'll get the job done. UTSA escapes Western Kentucky in the Ryan Conference USA Championship. Uh, UTSA has just been a top 25 team. The Roadrunners were undefeated most of the year. Um, but yeah, worthy of mentioning. And then Bama taking it to Georgia. Literally, this was the Saban showing Georgia and the coaching staff how it's done. All right, Padawan, this is what I'll do. You have a dominant defense. Um, this is how dominant they are. I mean, let's pull up this. This came from Todd, Todd McShay. He said, the SEC championship game between Bama and Georgia has 31 players that I've currently given a draftable grade. UGA's defense alone has 11 10 of who are playing in the game and 22 years and covering the draft. He's never had 11 players on a single unit with draftable grades. That just shows you how dominant that defense is. Cool. So what am I going to do with the dominant front seven like that? Well, I have Jamison Williams and John Mechie who are like super fast receivers. Let's just do quick throw bubble screens and let them run in space. And that's really the, the, what uh, Nick Saban did. And it got the job done. Bryce Young was 26 of 44, 421 and three touchdowns. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. had 55 yards on the ground. Robinson had 40 himself with the touchdown on the ground. But Jamison Williams ate them up 184 yards and two touchdowns. He had a 67-yard long reception. And then John Mechie had 97 yards and a touchdown as well. Now for Georgia, I expected them to be able to win, but that makes sense. It's a perfect game plan by Saban. That's why Saban's the man that he is. Uh, but they played a pretty solid game. I mean, Bennett was 29 of 48, 340 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. The run game did not exist, which is not all right. And then Brock Bowers, 139 yards and a touchdown uh, to lead the way in receiving. When Bennett started throwing the picks, I almost thought this was going to be, and if this is the, the championship rematch, you know, and Bennett comes out at the half looking shitty, 
It's almost, oh shit, Jalen Hurts getting benched. Let's put in Tua. I could have saw that with JT. They come in and win the game. I was kind of thinking that real time. I was talking to my friends. But maybe we see that in the SEC game. Stetson Bennett, you play like that against Bama, you have a short lease. We'll have to get, you know, move, move this along a little bit. Not to discredit Georgia by any means. They play in the SEC. They blanked Arkansas 37-0, to which is their most impressive win. You know, they beat a ranked Auburn and uh, Kentucky team, um, which were both vastly overrated at the time. Uh, in Auburn, they did better than what Bama could do. It's not necessarily a rivalry game. But they just really haven't played a lot of people, so I guess um, I'm not too surprised that Bama was able to get the job done. I thought Georgia was going to go win, uh, win out the whole year, though. Um, Michigan beats Iowa 42 to three. Again, Iowa has no offense whatsoever. How they got that high of a ranking is still shocks me. Um, Spencer Petras, a terrible nine of 22 for 137. They put in this Alex Padilla, who's played some time this year. He threw a pick, uh, but Cade McNacamara, 16 of 24, 169, a touchdown and a pick. Blake Corum was 74 yards and a touchdown in the victory for Michigan. Uh, Cincinnati is somewhat tough game by Houston. Houston's actually turned out to be a pretty solid squad, uh, but they were led by, um, is it Jerome Ford? Yep. Jerome Ford, uh, 18 carries for 187 yards and two touchdowns. And for Houston, uh, Dell, their leading receiver with nine catches, 152 yards and a tutty in defeat. Another game I did not expect. Baylor upends Oklahoma State 21-16. They shut down Oklahoma State's run game. They only had 70 yards as a unit. Spencer Sanders had 13 carries for 33 yards. Desmond Jackson, 19 for 31. That's a 2.5 and 1.6 per carry average. And then Spencer Sanders with four picks on the day. That's brutal. Uh, Blake Shapin ended up starting for Baylor. I can't remember if it was injury or they just felt like that was the move. The true freshman quarterback. Well, he comes in. 23 of 28, 180 and three touchdowns. Welcome to college football, my friend. And um, yeah, Baylor was able to get the job done. Uh, good defense, freshman quarterback. The shootout that we expected was pretty good shootout. I thought Wake Forest would play a close game the whole way, but Pittsburgh beat Wake Forest 45 to 21. MVP high up, you know, second in my vote, I guess. Pickett, 20 of 33, 253 and two touchdowns. Um, Addison is leading receiver, eight catches, 126 yards. The Mountain West has been a crazy conference. One of the only Mountain West victories my Wyoming Cowboys has had against Utah State. And Utah State has been a solid team. They steamroll South uh, San Diego State 46 to 13. Let's see. Uh, Logan Bonner, their quarterback, was 29 to 42, 318 yards, uh, four touchdowns and a pick. And Brandon Bowling had 154 yards and two touchdowns. In the Sun Belt, the Ragin' Cajuns beat Appalachian State. That was a tough pick for me. I, I went with the Cajuns. They got the job done uh, to win the Sun Belt. And then California beat USC and Northern Illinois beat Kent State. Those games don't really matter. But that was how the cookie crumbles. Now let's talk FCS football. We didn't talk about that last week. You get the... You get the playoff bracket. I love the way that it's set up, that it's a playoff format. Um, you know, maybe with the expansion of the playoff in FBS, it'll become more like that. So in the first round, Stephen S. Austin lost to Encarte World. Um, I thought Stephen S. Austin was actually going to win the game, and I think I had them beating Sam Houston in a bit of a shocker because they played good ball, so I definitely whiffed there. 
But in Carte World, put um, you know a, a run for the money for Sam Houston, forty nine to forty two. So I guess that's not too much of a, a complete shocker in that game. Um, Cameron Ward for Encarte World had 481 yards and five touchdowns. They just threw all over him. Uh, for Sam, Sam Houston, Ramon Jefferson, 22 carries, 166 yards and two touchdowns. They're always living through the run game, it seems like. Uh, UT Martin beat Missouri State. I had Missouri State winning that game, uh, but they lost by one, 31 to 32. And even without their starting quarterback, Montana State beats UT Martin 26 to 7. Uh, McKenna supposedly hitting the transfer portal. I didn't think that highly of them, so I don't know where the hell he's going to go or where, where he thinks he's going to go with that, but it is what it is. Uh, Tommy Mello started for Malat or Mello, uh, from Butte, Montana started for the Bobcats. He was eight of 20 for 51 yards, but he ran for 180 yards and two touchdowns. Isaiah Afonsi with 176 yards and a touchdown. So they just ran it down their throats. Oh, shit. Let's close that out. FCS football bracket. Um, And then on the bottom side of the bracket, Holy Cross beat Sacred Heart. I had picked Holy Cross to win that game. And then they lost to Villanova. I also had picked that 21-16. to 16. Um, Villanova had a tough fight there in that second game. In the other bottom, UC Davis uh, got smoked by South Dakota State. I thought that'd be a lot more of a competitive game, but I did think UC Davis is vastly overrated, and I did expect South Dakota State to go on and beat Sac State, another Big Sky team. Uh, the Jackrabbits are the real deal. They're set up against Villanova. That's going to be a fun quarterfinal matchup. Um, but in the last game against Sac State, Um, they were able to run for 205 yards as a group. Uh, Sac State's quarterback, Jake Dunaway, 26 of 43, 331, a touchdown, but two picks. The turnovers made the difference, but you are, you are able to throw the ball on the Jackrabbits. The top right side of the brackets, the Salukis, baby, beating South Dakota. I picked them to get the job done, and obviously no one's going to beat North Dakota State. Um, as the Salukis got beat 38 to 7, I'm assuming... North Dakota State just ran the shit out of the ball. Yep, they ran for 389 yards as a team. Tameric Williams, 17 carries, 112 yards, and two touchdowns to lead the way. Um, it looks like the Salukis had some turnovers, couldn't run the ball, um, and obviously T.O.P. is a huge difference in this game. Uh, Kennesaw State beat Davidson. I expected that. I actually picked them to beat ETSU, uh, but ETSU beats them by one to face North Dakota State. But it doesn't matter out of that bracket who's getting North Dakota State. They're going down to the Bison. And then Eastern Washington beat UNI, set up the Grizz to beat the shit out of them at home after them talking trash. And it happened. And the Grizz put up 57 points against Eastern Washington. Uh, watching this game, man, it was stressful. It was back and forth. Eastern had a good lead at one point. And it was just like, okay, if Barreri, Barrer, Barrier, however you, Barreri, Barrier, I think is how you say it. Um, if he's going to just hob it up there to uh, Limu Jones, who's talking all this smack, let's just play Chiefs defense. Put two safeties in there, do the damn thing. They really didn't do that. Uh, they kept trying to make big play football, but the turnovers really made the difference in this game. Cameron Humphrey was 11 to 23, 160 yards and three touchdowns. 
As a unit, the Grizz ran for 208 yards, 92 of those, uh, and a 75-yard touchdown from Malik Flowers. Samuel Akem, the big-bodied receiver, he's one touchdown away from Mark Mariani's touchdown record. Uh, he has 140 yards and two touchdowns. I actually think he's tied with Mark now. He's going one for the for the uh, tiebreaker. Uh, Eastern, Berrier, man, 47 for 80. He threw the ball 80 times, 530 yards, five touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Limo Jones, 215 and a touchdown. Andrew Broston, 141 and a touchdown. Um, the Eagles had two turnovers to the Grizz, zero, and that was really the big difference here. I mean, this was crazy. Both teams were throwing the ball. There was no time being off the clock. I think the first freaking half was like a three-hour game, you know, three-hour half, but it ended up being a four-hour game. It was wild, but the Grizz win. That's all that's matter. That's all that matters. That things are back to where they should be in the Big Sky. The Grizz were the only Big Sky team left besides Montana State now, and both have very daunting challenges. James Madison on the road looks like a complete football team, debatably the best team in my opinion besides North Dakota State. So big matchup for the Grizz. I'm actually, if I were to pick, would pick James Madison, but I love me some Grizz. This is the best fight I've seen. You know, Bobby Hawk, the biggest thing we got to do, beat the Cats. We beat the shit out of the Cats. Second thing, fuck Eastern Washington. We got that done. So it's been a great season. Let's keep the joy going. Uh, I can't wait for this game. It's another Friday football game. On the upside, ETSU, North Dakota State. I, I expect that to be ugly. Sam Houston, Montana State, I do as well. And I have the Jackrabbits actually beating Villanova to get in, uh, which would be James Madison, North Dakota State. That's the championship in my mind. Uh, I would pick James Madison at that point over... Um, probably Sam Houston. So it's going to be fun to watch this thing shake out a little bit. Uh, but the Grizz, huge, huge task ahead of them. James Madison looks like they're pretty much good everywhere. Lo I love to see the Grizz back to the playoffs, though. It's been, it's been some tough years. Got to give a shout-out to this guy, too. Justin Ford, nine interceptions, which is the most in the big sky since 1996. I saw a post today, built Ford tough, absolutely. Kid's been balling. Uh, he was on that Trayvon Diggs type of uh, type of run this year. But we got UFC, baby. Holy shit, do we got some UFC. Great fight night card that happened this past weekend. And I'll be in Vegas for UFC 269. I'll try to post on Insta and stuff, but I usually have a little bit of fun, a little bit of intoxication, and try not to show too much. But... Holy shit, I can't wait to talk about the card. <clears throat> Speaking of fights, though, some big-time fights set up and announced. We have Jan Blachowicz taking on Alexander Rejcik, right? Blachowicz, the Polish power, ex-champ, been beating anybody who's anybody. And then Rejcik, this young stud, full of athleticism, full of potential. That's going to be an awesome fight coming up. Uh, Misha Sirkinov booked against Makamid Muradov. Uh, that's going to be a good fight. We have Volkanovski and Holloway happening. There is no Holloway versus Connor or anything else. They're they're uh, um, pinpointing the trilogy for March of 2022. Uh, Felicia Spencer announces retirement. The Invicta fighter, the girl that got a fight for titles, have her opportunity uh, taking the high road in her 30s, not wanting to do more damage to herself. Well done on a great career, Felicia Spencer. Uh, Jessica I booked against Manon Firo. 
That's going to be a fun uh, women's fight heading up here in the future. Huge banger here. We have Jack the Joker Hermanson taking on Sean Strickland. It'll be good to see them back in the octagon. Another huge women's fight. Amanda Ribas versus Michelle the Karate Hottie Watterson. That's going to be a fun one for, for fight fans everywhere. And then props to Holly Holm for being inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame. What a badass. I'll never forget her beating... Um, uh, the hell is her name? See, I don't even remember. Ronda Rousey. That was that was the moment everyone doubted me when I had picked her. But bravo, Boxing Hall, Boxing Hall of Fame. For Jake Paul, life's tough. Tommy Fury pulls out chest infection, rib issue, whatever. He's pissed, so he calls up Woodley. Yo, you want that smoke? He says absolutely. So we get the Jake Paul Tyron Woodley rematch, December eighteenth. He has to take the fight on short notice. Love to see what Tyron does here in the rematch. Hopefully, he's more aggressive. You gotta tune in, you know. But this past week's fight card. Um, let's see. How did I do? Oh for one, one for two, one and one, two and one, two and two. Two and three, two and four, two and five, two and six. I got smoked in this card. Well, William the Nightmare Knight definitely shut it down early. He had the unanimous decision over Alonzo Menafield. You know, I did not expect this fight to go the distance. You look at these guys. I mean, both fighters had their moments and showcased their power. The biggest difference was Knight's ability to wrestle and grapple here. Fucking Williams muscles has muscles. That's how yoked this guy is. And boy, was he able to tire out Alonzo. Uh, statistically, William had 82 total and 55 significant strikes with a takedown, a reversal, and a knockdown versus Alonzo's 66 total and 44 significant strikes. He had a reversal as well. Now, this starts a two-fight win streak for Knight. He's 3-1 since his, in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series victory. But at 34, man, this is a tough loss for Alonzo. He, he, you know, he's been trying to push up the rankings. His two-fight winning streak comes to an end, and he's four and three in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series victory. So what is next? Well, for Knight, I'd love to see him see him take on Mikal Olekshuk or Dustin Jacoby, and for Alonzo, a fight against maybe Kennedy Kennedy and Shuku, who just lost, very promising prospect as well. That would be a fun fight to happen. Matchmakers, make that ish happen. And then we have Manel Starboy Cop with the first round knockout of Zalgis Zumaglov, which was one of the fights I picked, right? <laughs> uh, the big time win right here for Manel Cop. You know, he moves into the rankings at number 14. Well deserved. Zalgis started this fight hot. I was like, bam, he came out with some bangers, some big combos, and landed a big shot on Manel. But from there, he was able to recover, and it was all, all the cop show from there. He showcased his precision striking and his power to finish Zalgas. Now, statistically, Cop had 54 total and 53 significant strikes with two takedowns versus Zalgas's 31 total and significant. Cop uh, is now on a two-fight win streak as he shoots up the rankings, and he is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Zalgis starts a new losing streak and is 1-3 since entering the UFC. So next, I would put Cop against someone in the rankings like David Dovorak or Amir Albazi, who just beat Zalgis Zamugulov. Uh, and for Zalgis, at 33, man, you're in desperation mode for wins. 
I could see him taking on Tyson Nam or Jeff Molina. Next fight, we had Dushko Todorovic with the first round TKO over Maki Patolo. You know, Dushko found himself um, in good position early with the takedown. He was able to get Maki in this like poor man's crucifix. He was literally just willpowering him into these positions and was able to put on a beating to Maki to, to end the round um, and, and get that TKO. Statistically, Dushko had 67 total and 30 significant strikes with the takedown. Maki had 13 total and significant strikes with the submission attempt. Kind of a bailout attempt on the bottom. Uh, up next for Dushko, I'd love to see Misha Serkinov. He just got that fight announced, so that probably won't happen. Uh, so maybe Jung Young Park. And for Maki, he's in his prime. You know, four losses are really not acceptable in the UFC. So I would assume he's on the brink of being cut um, if he doesn't win. If he is still in the UFC, I can imagine a fight against Gilbert Urbina from The Ultimate Fighter or Abu Izatar. Uh, but tough, tough sledding for Maki. Good to see Dushko back in the win column. He's definitely a, a big time, pretty big prospect within this division. And then the action man, Chris Curtis, back in action. Second round TKO over the very, very good prospect, Brandon Allen. And this was a short notice matchup. Right? He just fought in MSG. He beat the very, very good and skilled Phil Haas. And it shocked people. It shocked me 100%. But then he goes, you know, it's like, damn, now he gets Brendan Allen? Like, there's no way, right? Well, then he goes and beats the hottest young prospect by TKO. What a story. What an amazing thing to watch. He has won six professional fights in this calendar year. And has been he even asked in his post-fight interview, when could he fight? I'll fight this weekend in Vegas 269. Like, that motherfucker's ready to fight. Um, you know, he's a vet. He's been everywhere. Tried to get into the UFC. He's there, and he's taking control of every moment. That's great as an experienced fighter. Brennan looked good to start this fight, though. And Chris made the fight kind of dirty, uh, untypical fight that you would have. And as an experienced fighter, you should do that, right? Statistically... The action man had 64 total and 61 significant strikes with a knockdown. And Brandon Lendon, 44 total and 43 significant strikes with a submission attempt. Allen's two-fight winning streak now comes to an end. And Chris is on a seven-fight winning streak. I'm not sure what's next for Chris, honestly. But if I were to guess, it would be Drikas Duplesis, who just pulled out of a fight recently, or Christoph Jocko. Uh, for Brandon... I think, obviously, more experience is pivotal. I'd love to see him against uh, Mahmoud Muradov. He just got booked against um, Misha Shurkinov. So put him up against Phil Haas. Let's put these bad boys together. And then we had the old boys. We had Clay Guida with another fucking win. A second-round submission over Leonardo Santos. And I hate that I picked him to lose when he won. But wow. That's all I can really say about the Carpenter, man. He submitted a fourth-degree black belt in BJJ. Holy shit, right? And this came after he got seriously fucked up and was so close to the fight being called. If I was an uh, official, I would have called the fight. But I was telling my friend, I think the official was giving Guida his respect as he's been in some very dark waters before and bounced back. And that's exactly what he did. And I think Santos is a little gutted that it wasn't finished. And Clay rebounded like he always does. And he got the job done in round two. And holy shit. I mean, what, what a performance. 
Statistically, Santos had 65 total and 41 significant strikes with the knockdown. Compared to Guida's 50 total and 18 significant, he did have two takedowns and a submission attempt. Well, Guida now starts a new winning streak. Um, you know, he never seems to be tipped over to that edge of retirement at 39 years old. Uh, he's 2-1 and one in his last three fights. Santos has lost two in a row, and I'm not too sure where either fighter goes. You know, Clay's 39, Santos is 41. Not everyone could be Glover Teixeira. Uh, but next up, if I had to pick, maybe Grant, Grant Dawson or Scott Holtzman for Guida. And for Santos, give him Jim Miller or Jeremy Stevens, some more vets that are left as well. And boy, did we see some power in this one. Jamal Hill with the first round knockout over Jimmy Crute. Holy shit, did we get to see the power that Hill possesses. It only took four shots for Hill to finish Crute. Crute is a great young prospect, much like Brendan Allen. And he has a very bright future. Everyone gets caught in fighting. I'm sure he'll rebound. Uh, but he has dropped two in a row. And he dropped his spot down to number 14. I could see him potentially next fighting Ian Kutalaba or Dustin Jacoby. Uh, but for Hill, he starts a new winning streak after the loss to Paul Craig. He moves up two spots to number 12. I'd love to see him against Johnny Walker. And if not, Nikita Krylov would make sense as well. And then these last two fucking fights. Boy, oh boy. In this fight, Rafael Fiziev with a third round TK of Brad Riddell. I mean, what a high level fight that we were able to witness between two old training partners and honestly future contenders in this deep, the deepest class in the UFC, which is a lightweight class. Fiziev was ahead the whole fight. Um... But Riddell definitely had his moments, right? This wasn't a complete like ass whooping by any means. But I I felt like Fiziev felt calm, cool, collected. Brad was kind of like, you know, when you're training partners, you typically know. This is what I always say. You typically know who who's a little bit of the better fighter. You know, you're not always completely fighting, so there's the, the a little bit of the unknown. But I felt like I saw that body language in Riddell in this fight, although he performed very well. But Fiziev, man, this is the best performance I've seen of his career. I've seen him in his other fights. Yes, he's great. He's already been hyped up. But this was the one. And the finishing sequence, man. The combo followed by the wheel kick after all that volume that they had to get him with the headshot. Like, God damn. And Riddell was out while sleeping. He was like, and then collapsed. That shit was crazy. Um, the speed, the power, the precision that we witnessed in this fight that these two displayed. It has me thinking that they could beat a lot of the guys ranked ahead of them. And there's no wonder they couldn't get a fight and had to fight each other. Uh, because, yeah, they're fucking good. They're scary. And no one wants to deal with that. Statistically, Fiziev, uh, Fiziev landed 66 total and significant strikes compared to Riddell's 62 total and 59 significant. But he also did have a takedown. Riddell does drop two spots to number 14. And I'd love to see him uh or number four. I'd love to see him fight Gregor Gillespie or Demir Ismogolov if Gillespie doesn't want to take a you know a lesser ranked fighter, I guess, because that's such a big deal. And Fazeev moves up three spots to number eleven. How about him against Gillespie or Michael Chandler? That's what I'm talking about. You want to see some more smoke? Chandler will bring it. So, Fazeev, I would assume his next fight is in the big boys, the big dogs. 
And then for the main event, like, God damn. Jose Aldo, you are, you are the man. You know, he's always been one of my favorite fighters. And when I've seen him lately, like, try to do five-round fights, I just didn't think that he had it in him and had the cardio and the endurance to do it. But boy, did he prove me wrong in this fight. Aldo with the unanimous decision over Rob Font. And again, much like Guida, I hate that I picked against him and he won. I'm like, fuck, I should just pick for him. Um, but what an amazing fight this was. The pace and volume, much like the fight before this, for a five-round fight, I did not think they could keep that up. At least Aldo. Uh, but Font came out with that high pace as expected, you know, trying to tire and live into the late rounds like he usually does and tire Aldo out like he has been recently. Aldo was prepared, though. He was prepared. He stood his ground. He picked his spots. You could tell he was conserving energy at parts of the fight and had a brilliant finish to the latter half, the championship rounds. He's preparing for another championship run. It looks like he's getting himself there. And that's when he got the knockdowns. Now, Aldo is a legend. And the fact that he might go on another title run is fucking unbelievable. We got to enjoy it, right? We got to sit here. We got to enjoy it while we have it because he's going to be gone sooner than later. This man has been fighting for goddamn ever. The fact that he's only 35 years old, I, that shit blew my mind. I'm like, damn, this guy, he's been grinding. Statistically, Font landed 193 strikes and 149 of those significant. He also had a takedown. Compared to Aldo's 96 total and 86 significant with two takedowns and a submission attempt. You know, the resurgence of Aldo has really just fucking taken me by gasp as one of his biggest fans. But he's now on a three-fight winning streak and it's only going to get harder from here. He moves up to number three and he called out number two, TJ Dillashaw. Right, we're waiting for the Aljo-Peter-Peter-Yan fight. So TJ's recovering makes sense. Like the true number one contender. I honestly think TJ, with holding the title, shouldn't have to fight a bunch of fights to get back to the title. He showed out against Corey. I think he deserves it. But with the timing, it's just kind of off. Um, so I, I could see him trying to bitch about that and push it out, and maybe that's the case. But if not, and this fight happens, what a fucking fight that would be. What a fucking fight. You can't go wrong. TJ versus Pewter. TJ versus um, Aldo. Like, hey. Sign me up. I don't know if TJ wants all that, but hey. So Font moves down to number five. He's on a four fight. His four fight winning streak comes to an end. I'd expect him to face Corey Sanhagen or Marab Tishfili. If not, but I think Corey Sanhagen would be next. And just like that, you know, lightweight bantamweight, any of these top guys you put together, instant fucking fireworks, instant bangers. We got some fun fights coming up in 2022. Before 220, uh, 2022, we got UFC 269. The main card starts regular times. It's a pay-per-view. And the early prelims that have good fights start at 3.15 on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. So I'm going to be in that arena early, baby. We're going to start in the early prelims. We got Randy, the Zohan Costa. 27 years old with a 6-2 record. He's taking on Tony Primetime Kelly 34 years old with a 7-2 and two record. You know, what a fight for the early prelims. Costa, young stud, trains out of Sanford MMA. He is one of the many young prospects in the bantamweight division. He does have a 3-inch reach advantage in this fight. 
He is a fresh off a loss against a very good Adrian Yanez. That was a great fight after his he had a two-fight winning streak. Tony is on a one-fight winning streak, and he is 1-1 one one in the UFC. I'm taking the Zohan. I think he gets back in the win column. I'm putting that on my parlay. Mark it down, and we getting bread this week, baby. We getting bread. And then we have Ryan, the Wizard Hall, 36 years old, with an 8-2 record and the number 8 next to his name. Versus Derek Miner, 31 years old, with a 26 and 12 record. You know, really, we're going to see if the Wizard relies solely on the ground game or tries to let his hands do some work this time. He is a third degree black belt in BJJ. He is a tough alum. He's a jujitsu legend, right? He's won gold and bronze at ADCC. He is on a one fight losing streak, which was his first fight since July of 29 because of his injuries. Derek trains at a glory MMA and is on a one fight losing streak. He is two and two in the UFC. He did fight in the Dana White contender series, but lost and had to take the hard way to the UFC. I believe we will see more from Hall's stand-up game here and his ground game and crazy rolls for leg locks and those Oluvi rolls, whatever the fuck they're called. I think they're going to be too much for Derek, but I really hope we get to see more from his hands here to see if, like, you know... Okay, is this guy going to be a consistent competitive guy or is he just a jujitsu wizard? And how this is in the early prelims, this is disrespect to these boys, but it's going to be a fight. In the flyweight division, we have Alex Perez, 29 years old with a 24-6 and record and the number four next to his name, uh, taking on Matt Danger Schnell, 31 years old with the 15-6 and record and the number nine next to his name. I can't believe this is on the early prelims. This is going to be a big-time, fast-paced fight, and I'm all for it. Schnell trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. He has a purple belt in BJJ and a black belt in karate. Uh, he's a tough alum and is on a one-fight losing streak, although he fought Bonatorin at bantamweight since Bonatorin missed weight. And he does have a four-and-a-half reach advantage in this fight. Perez has a boxing, wrestling, and BJJ background. He is 6-2 in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series victory. His last fight was over a year ago when he lost to Divison Figueredo, who actually had the title at that time. That's how long it's been. Uh, but these guys have had the fight pushed three times. They were supposed to fight before, so it's definitely long overdue. I'm taking the big Vegas dog here, though. I'm taking Matt Schnell uh, to get the job done. We'll see about this on the parlay. Same with the Ryan Hall fight. We'll see what happens. I probably won't put him. But I, I am taking Matt Schnell confidently. We got a woman's fight in the early prelims of two young stud prospects as well. We got Miranda, Fear the Maverick, 24 years old with an 11-3 record and the number 13 next to her name. Taking on Aaron, cold-blooded Blanchfield, 22 years old with a 7-1 record. Uh, the women's flyweight division has a lot of young prospects and this fight is going to showcase that talent for sure. Uh, Miranda has a brown belt in BJJ. You know, she's previously come from Invicta. She's 2-1 in the USC and coming off a loss. Five of her nine wins are via submission. Meanwhile, Erin, at 22, a black belt in, B, uh, in BJJ. She's also come from Invicta, and this is her second UFC fight. She is on a four-fight winning streak. But this is a big-time matchup. I'm going to have to go with the experience. It's hard for me to want to pick a 22-year-old fighter. Um, she does look good. She does got the skills, but Miranda's no joke as well. You know, she could have debatably won her last fight. 
So I'm going to take Miranda Maverick. Again, parlay, deter, you know, to be determined. I always post them on Twitter, at Podcast Buckets, if you want to know. Uh, but that's, that's uh, you know, that's definitely a, t- a close fight. I don't know enough about Blanchfield. She's definitely legit for, the, for them to be giving her this fight. But I am very impressed with Miranda Maverick. And then we have Andre Sergipano Muniz, the 31-year-old fighter with a 21-4 and record and the number 15 next to his name, taking on Eric Yaboy Anders, 34 years old with a 14-5 and record. Muniz is a southpaw fighter. He's on a seven-fight winning streak. He's 3-0 in the UFC since his Dana White Contender Series victory. He does have a three-inch reach advantage, and 14 of his 21 wins are via submission. Eric has a background in kickboxing and BJJ. He does have a brown belt in BJJ, and he trains at a fight-ready MMA. He has a football background. He played for Bama, right, the, the go-to schools. He started 14 games his senior year, which resulted in a championship against Texas. He then went on to play with the Browns for some time, the CFL and AFL, all before his MMA career. He did then go to Bellator. He is 6-5 and five in the UFC and is on a one-fight winning streak. Eight of his 14 wins are via knockout. I believe Munez is the better all-around fighter, especially if they're on the ground. But Anders obviously has some serious power. But I'm going to take Munez. I'm going to put him on my parlay. Mark it down. Let's get that bread. And that's all the early prelims. Crazy. Now we got the prelims. And it's starting off with a bang. We got Augusto Sakai, 30 years old, with a 15-3-1 record and the number 11 next to his name, taking on Ty Bam Bam Tuavasa, 28 years old with a 13-3 record. This one will get the crowd going in T-Mobile. I'll tell you what, if there's crowd early, you got to come and watch this shit. This one won't last three rounds. Uh, Ty trains out of the American Kickboxing Academy. He's on a three-fight winning streak. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. Meanwhile, Sakai is a brown belt in BJJ. He fought in Bellator before the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak. Against studs, though. I like the experience and the toughness Sakai has shown here, but this is damn near a toss-up. Sakai is in his prime. Ty is scratching the surface, entering his prime. I do think Ty is going to have to catch Sakai, and I don't think it's going to happen. Sakai does move forward. He can take a hit. I'm going to go with Sakai, put it on the parlay, Mark it down, and let's get that bread. Whew, I can't, I, I mean, I can't believe when you have this many fights, it's got to happen. We're going to put these guys on the prelim card. You got Pedro, the young Punisher, Munoz, 35 years old, with a 19-6 and six record and the number eight next to his name in the best second best division in the UFC. Taking on Dominic, the Dominator Cruz, 36 years old with the 23 and 3 record and the number 10 next to his name. What a fun fight we have here. I'm pumped to see Cruz back in the octagon after so much time off. I like him to see him consistently back in the mix as he's getting older. Um, but Pedro trains out of American Top Team. He has a black belt in BJJ, a brown belt in judo. He is on a one fight losing streak and has lost three to four, three of four, although. Being in this division, they're all the legends. Uh, Dom is a blue belt in BJJ. He is a WEC and bantamweight legend. 
He is on a one-fight winning streak since losing to the title to Henry Cejudo. Before the injuries, I mean, Dom was top of the top, creme de la creme. He does have a three and a half reach inch advantage in this reach advantage in this fight. When looking at this, I honestly don't know who to take here. You know, I feel my biasy of Dom. I'm a big Dom fan, uh, and I am going to go with Dom. I think, you know, this is where he looks to get back to where he was, and and he has been active now over Casey Kenny after the Cejudo loss. So this will be a big step forward. You know, obviously Munoz losing three of his last four is not going to take this slightly. And Munoz looked good against Aldo. But I'm taking Cruz, avoiding it on the parlay if necessary. Toss-up. There's a lot of toss-ups here. Mr. Clean is fucking back. Josh Emmett, the 36-year-old fighter with a 16-2 and record and the number seven next to his name, is taking on Dan 50K Ige, 30 years old with the 15-4 and record and the number nine next to his name. So me and a good friend that's, you know, getting into UFC more and more. We watched Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos. He became a huge fan. We nicknamed him Mr. Clean, big buff bald guy, right? He looks like Mr. Clean. He should take that nickname. We should start calling him Mr. Clean. Make the shit viral. But anyways, he's back. And I am so excited that I get to see him in action. It's a guaranteed banger. And he's taking on a guy whose nickname is 50 fucking K because all he does is get bonuses. Holy shit, I think this is a fight of the night contender. It's in the fucking prelims. The prelims. This is in the prelims. This is so crazy. Uh, Emmett hasn't fought since June of 2020, where he shredded everything in his knee. ACL, MCL, PCL, LCL, TCL, ZZL. I don't know. His shit was fucked, though. Um, He trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's a purple belt in BJJ. He does have an NAIA wrestling background. And he has a three-fight winning streak. Uh, you know, he hasn't fought since June of 2022, 2020, so it's you know been a while. Well, Mr. Clean ain't no joke. Ige, love him as well. Trains out of Extreme Couture MMA. He has a black belt in BJJ and a brown belt in Judo. He does have a D3 wrestling background. And he is coming off a loss to the Korean Zombie. Good fight. I really like both fighters. This is going to be a crazy back-and-forth fight. I can envision it now. But there are questions around Emmett with his knee. But after the toughness and pure craziness I witnessed in that Shane Burgos fight, does this guy even have a pain tolerance? I can't pick against Mr. Clean, man. Ige is just entering his prime. He's got plenty left. This is Emmett's time. I'm going to take Emmett, put him in my parlay. Actually, I don't know. Probably put him in my parlay. If avoidable, potentially avoid that one. And now we're in the main card. All that shit, that's a full card right there. And then we get the Sugar Show, baby. Sean Sugar O'Malley, 27-year-old fighter with the 14-1 record. He is the undefeated champ. He should be undefeated. Taking on Haulian Peva, 26 years old with the 21-3 record. And he's actually ranked the number 15 next to his name. You know, this is definitely, in my opinion, going to be the toughest test of the Sugar Show's career. When we look at the Sugar Show, he has a kickboxing background. He trains out of the MMA lab. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak. But again, he was whipping Marlon Vera. The foot thing happened, yada, yada. Ten of his 14 wins are via knockout, and he has a two-and-a-half reach advantage. Paiva, he trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's a black belt in BJJ. 
He is 3-2 and two since his Dana White Contender Series victory. And he recently moved up to, bant- to bantamweight where he made his debut in his last fight. He beat Kyler Phillips, which is uh, O'Malley's training partner. I don't expect this one to go all three, but you know I'm taking the Sugar Show. He's still undefeated. Put him in the parlay. Mark it down. Let's get this bread. Whew. God damn, these are just such good fights. And then we got Kai Kara, Kai Kara, don't blink France, 28 years old with a 22 and nine record, uh, taking on and the number six next to his name, taking on Cody No Love Garbrandt, 30 years old with a 12 and four record and the number seven next to his name in his flyweight debut. You know this is No Love's introduction to the flyweight class. This is a banger alert all day long. Potential fight of the night as well. But what a fucking tough opponent for Cody Nolove. I mean, we got France. He trains out of City Kickboxing. Dan Hooker. It, uh, Israel Adesanya. The squad. Um, Brad Riddell. He has a blue belt a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He's 5-2 and two in the UFC. And he has a 3.5-inch reach advantage. You know, Cody, he's had some history. He was the one to dethrone the almighty Dominic Cruz at Bantamweight at the time. He looked unstoppable. His chin kind of went away. He was dropping down to flyweight. Had COVID, stayed in Bantamweight, now going to flyweight. He trains out of Team Alpha Male. He does have D2 wrestling background. 10 of his 12 wins are via knockout. And he is on a one-fight losing streak. For me, I do believe Cody's chin is gone. But he proved me wrong in lasting in the Font fight, which Font has some serious power. I am really interested to see what he does in the flyweight division, as he has more power than the others in that class, in my opinion. But he got the wrong opponent, man. Your first flyweight, you get Kai Kara France. It's a tough son of a bitch. And he isn't even in his prime yet. I'm going to take Kai Kara France. Parlay-wise, to be determined, that's a toss-up as well. And then we have Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, 31 years old, with a 13 and 4 record and the number 12 next to his name, taking on Santiago Argentine Dagger Ponzanibio, 35 years old, with a 29 and 4 record and the number 14 next to his name. You know, this was one of the later ads to the card, and I was so fucking pumped when it was, because it's going to be a great display. Uh, Jeff has a blue belt in BJJ. He's 5-2 since his Dana White Contender Series victory. Meanwhile, Santiago, he trains out of American Top Team. He is a black belt in BJJ. He is a tough Brazil alum as well. And he's on a one-fight winning streak. I expect Santiago to be the more well-rounded and stronger fighter in this fight. I think three rounds uh, does him justice. I'm taking uh, Santiago. I am putting him on my parlay. Mark it down, and let's get this bread. And then we have the two champs. We got the GOAT, the Lioness, Amanda Nunez, 33 years old, with a 21-4 and records. Yeah, she's the champ champ. Uh, she's taking on Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Peña, 32 years old, with 11-4 and record, and the number three next to her name. It's funny, I was watching the Embedded's. Love watching the Embedded's for the uh, pay-per-views. And you just see the sassiness of Juliana Pena. She's Venezuelan. It totally makes sense. My ex-girlfriend's nickname was the Venezuelan Viper. So we got the Venezuelan Vixen. Uh, I could see the sassiness. It it brought back flashbacks. 
She could be spicy, but this ain't going to be that spicy of a fight, to be honest. I think Pena is getting this fight because there's not a lot of options. Uh, Nunez is the GOAT, if you didn't know. She trains out of ATT. She has a black belt in BJJ, a brown belt in Judo. She's, you know, fought in Strike Four. She's fought in Invicta. She's on a 12-fight winning streak, and 13 of her 21 wins are via knockout. Pena has a kickboxing and BJJ background. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She is a tough alum, and she's on a one-fight winning streak. And not to talk shit about Pena like she's not worthy, but just Nunez, you know, I'm on another, I'm on a new level. Um, this isn't going to be a much, much of a fight unless the motherhood has made Nunez unfocused, but I don't expect that to be the case. Put Nunez on your parlay. Maybe don't because the odds are so bad, but confidence, put her on, mark it down. We get in that bread. And then the main event of the evening. Whew. We got Charles Dubronx Oliveira, 32 years old with a 31-8 and record, and he is the champ, the well-deserved champ, taking on Dustin the Diamond Poirier, 32 years old with a 28-6 and record and the number one next to his name. Holy shit, is this going to be a fun one. We will really see what Charles can do on his feet and how much that's improved. Um, with the kicks and the boxing that Dustin's going to bring. And this is a unique thing where we're literally seeing two fighters in their prime for the ship. I saw this earlier. Historic title uh, clash. Oliveira and Dustin Poirier combine for title fight records at UFC 269. They have 54 combined fights, 39 wins, 30 finishes, and 29 bonuses. Boy, oh boy, is that going to be fun. I can't wait. You know, technically Dustin got rid of the title to go fight Connor. Um, so Oliveira got it at the interim with um uh I'm blanking on his name. Michael Chandler. So I've always seen Dustin as the kind of the champ. Like I feel like he's the champ. Uh Charles is trying to earn it. Uh but Charles is a third degree black belt in BJJ. He's on a nine fight winning streak. And 19 of his 31 wins are via submission. Dustin, as you should know, trains out of American Top Team. He's a black belt in BJJ. He's on a three-fight winning streak. And 14 of his 28 wins are via knockout. Now, both of these fighters have had their ups and their downs. They are true vets with experience. But I think Dustin is better everywhere but in the jiu-jitsu department. So as long as he doesn't find himself on the mat playing and testing Dubronx, which I have no idea why he would do that, I do have him winning this fight. I'm going to take Dustin. I'm putting him on my parlay, and I'm going to Vegas, and we win in money. We win in money. But what we have after that, I'll be trying to record the pod next week after Vegas. I'm in Vegas Wednesday through Sunday, so wish me luck. Uh, but we got another Fight Night Apex card before the week off for Christmas and New Year's. And this one's headline, Derek Lewis and Kyle Dacus. UFC 269, baby. Vegas. Flying to Vegas in the morning. I haven't even packed. It's almost 10 p.m. I'm getting all this shit done. I got so much going on. But we're going to talk NBA. So, tough, tough news for the Miami Heat. Bam, Adebayo out four to six weeks. Hopefully, more so the four weeks and the six. Tough news for Portland. CJ McCollum has a collapsed lung. Like, what? Like, 
did that just happen? Did they, you know, do an x-ray and notice? Like, yeah, it sounds serious. Uh, definitely sets up the team for rebuild mode, in my opinion. Same with this team. The Pacers, TJ McConnell out for the year after torn ligaments in his hand. Sheesh. Well, the Heat and Bulls, they lose second round picks next year for tampering with the Kyle Lowry move and the uh, DeMar DeRozan move. So that that's no bueno. And how about Memphis? They beat Oklahoma City by 73 points. 73. Some teams score 73 points in a game. Like, come on, man. Come on, man. And I wanted to bring this up. It was an ESPN article I read because we are in a unique time where I do think we are going to get a lot of teams that are resetting. So it's a good time to bring it up. So this is five big trades that could shake up the NBA playoff picture. Uh, the Warriors add another star. Golden State receives DeMontis Sabonis. They give the Pacers Wiseman, Kuminga, and Moody. Who says no to that? Who says no to that? Clay Thompson, Steph, Sabonis. Oh my God. Don't have to wait for Wiseman's development. Kuminga or Moody, who probably won't make a you know, a starting five. But that's a great rebuild for the Pacers. That makes so much sense. Props to you, Mr. It's just NBA insiders, a bunch of people. That's a trade, though. That makes so much sense to me. Um, Dallas brings back Barnes, Harrison Barnes and Marvin Bagley for Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith, Willie Cauley-Stein, a 2022 and 24 second round pick. Basically gamble it on Marvin Bagley, add Harrison Barnes, you get rid of Timmy. You know, Timmy's been doing well. I don't think he's done anything amazing. Who says no to that trade? I think that's a pretty good trade. Not as good as that Warriors trade, but hey, Dallas has got to figure something out. Phoenix Suns bolster their front cart. Phoenix receives Thad Young. They give San Antonio Dario Saric, Jalen Smith, a 2022 first and 2025 second. That makes sense to me. The contender trying to get better. Um, Portland, they they said Portland taking a flyer on Bagley. Marvin Bagley in a pick for Robert Covington. Uh, but maybe they try to make bigger moves. Uh, maybe they try to get us a bonus. They've talked about him wanting to, Damian Lillard wanting to play with Ben Simmons. Regardless, we're about to see some trades, I think, this year. And uh, God damn, if uh, the Warriors are looking at that article, they should look into the Sabonis trade. That's just that's like the best fit I've ever seen, you know? You know? So looking at the standings, the Nets are still in the front, 17-7. and seven, Bulls 2, Bucks 3, Heat 4, Wizards still up there, 5, Sixers 6, Hornets 7, Cleveland 8, Atlanta 9, Celtics 10. We figured Atlanta and Boston would climb up. Toronto and the Knicks have slipped down. I would expect this to be roughly the group that make the playoffs. Maybe the Knicks can get in. In the West, Warriors 1, Suns 2, Jazz 3, Grizz 4, Clips 5, Lakers 7, or 6, Dallas 7, Denver 8, Minnesota 9, Portland 10. I expect this, like I said, to pretty much be a lock of what the playoff teams are. Um, but Portland could be making shakeups. Dallas could be making shakeups. The Lakers could be making shakeups. You know, the Lakers are you know, wanting to do something, you know, they've tried to do moves. They just haven't got the, the right partner to agree. So that's how we're looking. You know, uh, let's look at some, some standout games that have happened since the pod last week. Um, starting with Wednesday, the Hawks beat the Pacers by three on the road to go to 12 and 10. The Pacers dropped to nine and 15. 
Trey Young, 33, 8, and 10. Ice Trey. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, 27, 6, and 9. Let's see if Trey Young can prove me wrong here. So usually when I see Trey Young score 33 points, I'm assuming he's shooting 27 plus times. This game he was 30 or 13 of 27, three of 10 from three for 33, 27 times. This is not gonna cut it. You got to do better. Don't be bitter. Be better. Um, the Magic beat the Nuggets on the road, 108 to 103. They moved to five and 18. The Nuggets dropped to 10 11. You can't be losing to the Magic. Trust me, the Jazz did it. I was hot. Uh, Cole Anthony hooping, 24-8-7. Nikola Jokic, 18-15-7 and seven in defeat. The Celtics squeak by the Sixers at home to go to 12-10. and 10. The Sixers go to 11-11. Joel Embiid, 13-18-6. Jason Tatum putting the team on his back, 26-16. See how efficient he was. 26-20 on 20 shots. Not terrible, but not great. The Cavs beating the Heat on the road. The Heat were without some big-name players. Jared Allen cooking 19-11 and in the victory. Cleveland, baby. Cleveland, this is for you. <laughs> uh, the Bucks beat the Hornets by two at home to go to 14-8. The Hornets 13-11. Giannis 40-12-9. LaMelo 36-5-9. You obviously know Giannis was efficient, yeah. 40 on 24 shots. Were you LaMelo? Dang. 36 on 22. 8 of 15 from downtown. That's what you like to see. Give the people what they want. I'm an efficiency whore in basketball. Your Carmelo giving me 33 on 30. Like, I don't want that. I don't want that. That's it for Wednesday. Cruising into Thursday. The Bulls beat the Knicks on the road. They're 15 and 8. The Knicks 11 and 11. DeMar DeRozan, baby. 34 and 6. Julius, 30, 12, and 6 in defeat. Let's see how DeMar's doing. Oh, no threes. He's been shooting threes. I wanted to see that threes keep going. But he had 34 with no threes. The Raptors beat the Bucks at home by four. They go to 10 and 13. The Bucks drop to 14 and 9. Fred Van Fleet, 29, 5, and 4. Drew Holiday, 26, 6, and 8. That's really it for Thursday. Friday, the Heat beat the Pacers 113-104. The Heat went to 14-9. The Pacers 9-16. Karis Levert looks good to see him on a on a leading box score. 27-2-3. Kyle Lowry 26-3-9. The two surprise teams, the Cavs, beat the Wizards 116-101 on the road. The uh Cavs 13-10. The Wizards 14-9 as of last Friday. Uh, Raul Nito leading the Wizards with 13 points. Darius Garland, straight hooping. No Sexton. Colin Sexton's out for the year, but he has 32, 8, and 10. God damn. 32 on 17 shots. That a boy. 5 of 6 at downtown. That's what you got to see. The 76ers beat the Hawks on the road, 98-96. They go to 12 and 11, as does the Hawks. Joel Embiid, 28-12. Ice Trey, 25-4-10. Let's see how icy he was this time. 25 points on 22 shots, man. Got to do better. Got to do better. The Jazz whooping up on the Celtics, 137-130. They go to 15-7. The Celtics drop to 12-11. Mike Conley, Mountain Mike, 29-4-7. 
Jason Tatum, 37, 6, and 5. Let's see if he was efficient with 30, uh, 37 banger on 25 shots. 2 of 11 from downtown, but 11 from, 11 from the free throw. I'll take that over the ice tray line. Warriors rematch. They beat the Suns this time, 118 to 96. They go to 19 and 3 as the Suns go to 19 and 4. DeAndre Ayton had 23 and 6. Draymond Green, 9, 9, and 9. The Warriors, no, they had their guys. Chris Paul. Obviously, the Suns without Devin Booker. The Clippers beat the Lakers. Battle of LA. They go to 12 and 11. The Lakers, 12 of 12. PG, 19, 8, 9. AD, 27 and 10 in defeat. Heading into the weekend. The Bucks beat the Heat at home, 124, 102. They moved to 15 and 9. The Heat, 14 and 10. Bobby Portis filling in, 19 and 16. Max Struess off the bench, 25 points. I believe they were without Lowry and Butler in this game. Lowry played no Butler. The heart of the team. Uh, the Mavericks lose to the Grizzlies on the road. The John Morant-less Grizzlies. They go to 13 and 10. The Mavs 11 and 11. Timmy Hardaway 29 and 7. Desmond Bain 29 and 9. That kid's going to be a stud. The Spurs beat the Warriors. Shocker on the road. 112-107. They go to 8 and 13. The Warriors 19 and 4. Steph was 27 and 8. DeJounte Murray, Seattle boy, 23-12 and 7. Going into Sunday, the Cavs lose to the Jazz by one. Donovan Mitchell, 35-3-6. Darius Garland, 31-4-5. Damn, I wish I had drafted Darius Garland. You probably could have got him as a late steal in fantasy. Uh, the Hornets beat the Hawks on the road as they go to a 14-11. The Hawks an even 12-12. 130-127. John Collins, 31-7. Miles Bridges, I'll up you, 32-4-4. And in the week on Monday, the 76ers avenge the Hornets on the road, 127-124 in OT. They go to 13-11, the Hornets 14-12. Joel, 43-15-7, that a boy, big boy. And Kelly Oubre, Jr. of all people, 35-5. He must have been just shooting threes, yeah? Kelly Oubre, 35-6-13 from three. 35 on 24, that's a better than those Trey, Trey Young stat lines. The Grizzlies beat the Heat on the road again, 105 to 90. They go to 14 and 10, the Heat to 14 and 11. Kyle Lowry 14 17 4 and 8. Stephen Adams 17 and 16. I forget he's there sometimes. I should have kept Valenciunas. The Bulls beat the Nuggets at home 109-97. They go to 17 and 8, the Nuggets 11 and 12. Nikola Jokic 17 12 and 15, little triple double. Zach Levine 32 points, 8 assists. See how efficient his 32 was. 32 on 23, 3 and 9 from 3. That's aight. Um, the Suns' revenge against the Spurs, 108, 104. Well, I guess that was the Warriors, but they beat the Spurs at home. Spurs, 8, of four, eight and 14. The Suns, 20 and 4. CP3, 21, 3 and 12. Uh, DeJounte, still leading the team, 17 points, 6 rebounds, and 14 dimes. Sheesh. He's just a dying land boy. Um, the Nets beat the Mavericks 102-99. Um, wait, today's Tuesday. This is tonight, right? 7th, 7th, yep. Sheesh. I'm, I'm going to time warp. Um, on the road, they go to 17-7. and seven. The Mavericks drop to 11-12. and 12. 
Luka 28, 6, and 9. James Harden 23, 9, and 12. Uh, the Knicks beat the Spurs, and the Lakers beat the Celtics 117 to 102 tonight. Jason Tatum with 34, 8, and 3. LeBron 34 and 5. See who's was more efficient. Tatum 34 on 22. He's been doing good. LeBron 30 on 19. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. Shit, man. Shit gets real after Christmas in the NBA. We getting there. We getting there. Get my jazz to iron some shit out. And college basketball. Purdue is number one in the AP poll for the first time in school history. Let's give them some golf claps. Now, for real, Purdue looks legit. I think they are deserving. When I look at the rankings, some overrated, underrateds, I'd have to say Texas. We've been t- calling them out. Seven, you're overrated. Uh, Houston. Are they still in the top 25? I need to erase them. They're not even in the top 25. Nope, yep, 14. We're going to call them overrated. Arkansas, again, Arkansas basketball? Come on, man. Uh, they're at 12. I want to say they're overrated. Baylor, 2. They're top 10, but not 2. That's overrated status. Uh, Bama and Florida, sorry, you're overrated. Bama at 9. Florida at 20. Yeah, that's not going to cut it. Uh, especially Bama. You got the win over Gonzaga. Everyone thinks all this stuff. They were on sh- you know, short legs, tired legs, whatever you want to call it. I'll call that a bluff, right? Underrated, Michigan. They're out of the rankings. I think that's a little underrated, you ask me. Same with North Carolina. But other than that, not a lot of underrateds in the, in the college basketball world. What the hell has been going on in hoops, though? Well, last Wednesday, we had BYU lose to Utah Valley. Like, bruh, Utah Valley, they were ranked 12 at the time. They lost to overtime. Got outscored 10-17 to 17 in overtime. Let's give someone a shout-out to Utah Valley. Utah Valley was led by Fardas Amik. 24 points, 22 rebounds. God damn. Is this a big boy? 6'11 from Vancouver, BC. That a boy, Fardas. BYU cannot handle Fardas. Um, Florida gets upended by Oklahoma. They were ranked 14th at the time. Tanner Groves, 20 points, 8 rebounds. Memphis gets upset by Georgia. Lots of upsets that day. Uh, Cario Oquendo, 24 points in defeat. Uh, North Carolina trounces Michigan by 20. Caleb Love, 22 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, They were 24 at the time. They should definitely be in the rankings. UNC, baby. They must have lost that week. Moving into Thursday, nothing happened. Moving into Friday, Purdue beat Iowa by 7. Tavion Williams, 13 and 18. Moving into Saturday, that's the upset. Gonzaga drops to Bama. Jaden Shackleford, 28-9. Drew Timmy, 23-10 in defeat. Let's see how the top prospect did. I've always looked at the box scores. I look at all the box scores, box scores at the end of the day, but it's you know it's been some time. You forget. So Shackleford, Quinterly, the Villanova transfer, 17. He's one for five. Sucks to suck. Um, bum, bum, bum. Holmgren, 10 points, 11 rebounds, 0 for 4 from 3. Let's see. Anything else happened this day? BYU almost loses another one to Missouri State. That's definitely overrated. 
Overrated. Let's see. Memphis drops another one to Ole Miss. Yeah, Memphis doesn't look good. Uh, let's see. Jarkel Joyner leads, leads Ole Miss with 20 points and 8 rebounds in the upset victory. And that was it for Saturday on Sunday. Nothing. Monday, nothing. Florida loses again to Texas Southern on Monday. Tough, tough loss. John Walker III for Texas Southern, 13-7-7. And, and I missed the second half. And it must have been a beauty of a second half. I started the pod at halftime. I watched the first half of Nova Syracuse. You know, Syracuse, long, lanky team running the zone. Villanova could not take any breaks. They were just chucking threes. They're a good three-point shooting team. They had open shots, but they weren't making them. I'm assuming the second half, they must have just been getting buckets because that's how they do. Uh, They shot 20%. 20, This is crazy. Syracuse is probably going to make a tournament. They're going to be a team no one wants to see like last year. All right, you got uh, the Bayheim bros. um, In this game... Jimmy Bayheim had 21 points. Buddy only had six. Um, but 26% from a team like that, and they still won by 14. Like, all right. Um, Jalen Samuels, my guy, 13 and 9. Decent game. Justin Moore really leading the team, 18 and 6. Gillespie with 14, and Daniels with 11 off the bench. Daniels is a key, key player. It was good to see uh, Cosby Roundtree getting some minutes for Nova. Kansas win is expected. Kentucky one is expected. Arkansas one is expected. Oh, yeah, earlier before Villanova, why the game was so late. Tennessee and Texas Tech goes into overtime. Tennessee went on like a 10-minute of no scoring run. Um, but, yeah, they get upset. They are still 13th in the country. They'll be slipping. I'm sure they'll be slipping. Let's see quickly if we have any big matchups. Texas Seton Hall on Thursday. I want to be surprised if Seton Hall wins that game. Let's see, just quickly. Ohio State, Wisconsin on Saturday. That's a big game. Alabama, Houston on Saturday. Who's more overrated? We'll find out. This is what I was looking for. Sunday, Baylor and Nova. What a game that's going to be. What a game that's going to be. Monday, Tuesday. Yep. So some big games coming up down the pipe. But we're going to finish the show off with the, some final things that happened in the hot stove. Uh, the Red Sox got Rich Hill as an additional pitcher. Luis Garcia signs two years, $7 million with the Padres. James Paxton still out there, signs a one-year, $10 million with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are trying to take the Giants route and sign one-year deals. Hopefully they pan out. The Sinal, the, the, the Sinals, Jesus. The Angels, we get our guy, Rozelle. Iglesias, we got him for Noe Ramirez, who we cut, got for nothing. Got him for technically five years. We gave him four years, $58 million. Don't have to worry about a closer, but we still miss out on aces. Super bummed about that. The Phillies signed Corey Knable. Mark Melanson, two years, $14 million with the, the Diamondbacks. Chris Taylor staying in L.A., four years, $60 million. That utility guy gets paid. Uh, Dylan Bundy gets a one-year deal with the Twins for five milli. The Brewers trade Jackie Bradley Jr. back to the Red Sox for Hunter Renfro, big outfield power hitter. And Marcus Stroman, the Angels miss out on the last big arm, three years, seventy-one million to the Cubbies. 
And the last thing I wanted to talk about is I watched King Richard on HBO, Venus, Serena Williams, the story about their dad, their upbringing. HBO's great. They got good content. You don't need to know this, but definitely check it out. I highly recommend it as a watch. But until next week, boys, girls, all the things in between, we'll catch you next week after USC 269 in person. Can't wait. Check out my Instagram. Follow me at Podcast Twitters for my official parlays bets. You know the drill. See you guys next week.